Welcome, welcome, welcome to Comic Book Workshop. It's a podcast about the craft of making comics. I'm Jason Hammonds, and I am not an expert. I'm just trying to learn all I can from those who do it best. On this episode, I chat with cartoonists Chris Schweitzer and Kyle Starks, whose new series, The Six Sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, is available for pre-order right now. We talk about their collaboration as writer and artist, the differences in their individual processes, and the ways in which their sensibilities complement each other. Uh, Before we get into all that, though, let's catch up. This episode is so good. I I loved this interview. Kyle and Chris are amazing. It was so fun talking to them. Um, In terms of uh, what's been going on, it's been a really friggin' productive week. Um, I got a couple of stories written for a couple of different anthologies I'll be submitting to. Um, I'm finishing uh, the script for a pilot that uh, I've been working on, an original pilot that I'm uh, sort of trying to use as my calling card uh, going forward. Um, it's kind of like I, I've, I've been, you know, taking the, the slow route with a lot of things and sort of learning as much as I can the past few years, um, you know, writing wise, particularly with screenwriting and like working in support jobs and, 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 you know, taking classes and picking things up from people. And, um, you know, I've, I've been sort of, you know, in the back of my head and also probably as an excuse waiting for the right time to like, you know, hit the gas pedal and, and really start pushing things out. Um, you know, and I think a lot of that was a crutch, honestly. And, and that's sort of the conclusion I came to is like, you know, if you're always waiting for the right time, then, uh, you're always going to be waiting. And, you know, I just, I, I felt like I had, you know, I definitely haven't learned, you know, enough enough, but I've learned enough to, you know, start faking my way through it, um, you know, and start acting like I'm an expert. You know, I've, I've written scripts before, but I just have never I've been so bashful about sending them out and trying to get any representation or anything like that. Um, and, you know, I just uh, no time like the present. Um, so I'm feeling really good progress wise, like things uh, there's I've just been getting a lot done and um I think the quality of work is amazing and, you know, the, the feedback that I've been getting from one of my writing mentors, um, uh, the amazing Cami Delavine, um, has been really, really good. And I'm, uh, yeah, just, she, she's been giving great, great notes on, you know, things to improve and also, um, you know, sort of helping me recognize the things that I'm doing well, which I think is very important, um, and sort of speaks to the, you know, benefits of of letting people read your stuff because not only do you know what you're doing wrong when you do that but you also end up kind of learning what you're doing well which like truly i think you know and i'll speak for myself but i think a lot of people can relate to this like i actually didn't know what i was doing well for a long time i vaguely had some idea of like what some of my friends sort of you know liked in my work but i was sharing my work to such a limited circle that like you know, you never know like what's actually happening, but, but you start really sending it out there and getting people who are unattached people who are complete strangers in some cases responding to your work. Um, you know, it, 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 it really helps. I, I think it, it, it is absolutely a benefit to know what you do well, um, as much as it is to know what you're not doing well. Right. Like that. And that's been also huge. Like just knowing like, oh, okay, here's a thing that I'm like, you know, not quite, uh, uh, up to snuff with, um, you know, and, and, and learning to work on that and, 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 you know, hone that in. Like for me, you know, the big thing that I've been working on these past couple months has been to like hone in on, on the trauma and, and not only to, to know what the trauma is in your characters, but to 
to know effective and efficient ways to communicate that trauma to the readers. Um, because most characters, you know, whether it's on an extreme degree or on a low degree, will have some form of source trauma and, and things that, you know, kind of inform the way that they make their decision making, particularly in dramatic writing. And I think oftentimes in comedic writing as well. Um, you know, so it's, I'm, I'm vibing. I'm, I'm really, really feeling good about things. Um, and it's been fun. What, you know, one of the anthology stories that I just, um, I just finished the outline for, and I'm, I'm going to be scripting tomorrow, um, is with an artist that I worked with before just on a two page story. Um, the fantastic and amazing Rachel Disler. You can find her at red tie bear studio, um, or red tie bear, I think is her, just her regular social stuff. Um, she's fantastic. I love working with her. We, we did a two page story, um, back like, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and we've been looking for an opportunity to work together again. Um, you know, and we've both been kind of doing stuff on the side and, and other projects with other collaborators and stuff. And, uh, we finally found an opportunity to work on a story again. And, you know, both times we've worked together now, it's, it's been a truly fantastic experience. Um, and one thing just as advice to writers, um, working with artists, like if you haven't before, or if you're, you know, kind of like, I don't know if you're not pleased with how things have come out or whatever, I think the answer is always to talk to your artists. Um, I personally, you know, I, I like having a really open and communicative relationship with, with the artists I work with. I like to ask them about what they're interested in right now. And, and I mean, part of this is because I, I tend to write for a specific artist. I don't, I don't often start with like a story that I already have first and then find an artist to draw that story. I kind of tend to go for artist first. I tend to be like, I want to work with this person. Let me talk to them and figure out, you know, what, what they're interested in drawing and then see if I can shape a story from there. Um, you know, which sometimes can be difficult because it does require a bit of, um, faith as a buy-in from the artist that you want to work with. Um, you know, they like that. They kind of have to have some faith that, that you'd be, <laughs> able to sort of come up with a story that would be interesting and good for them to work on. Um, you know, but, but ultimately like it's, it's just a good experience because then you can kind of, you can collaborate on putting the story together. And for me personally, when I work with an artist, I tend, you know, I, I, I want them to be a co-creator on the story. I want them to be just as invested as, as I am because they're going to be the ones spending the most time on it truly. Um, you know, and so like it only, it only behooves the story and it only behooves your writing to understand exactly what that artist is really digging. So, you know, talking just about like, what type of worlds are you interested in right now? What kind of story, which things have you been itching to draw? Like, you know, thematically, tonally, like what, what is really revving your engine and then sort of going away with that information, whatever they say, you know, sometimes it might be as simple as like, I want to draw someone with a big jacket or I want to, you know, like do a cyberpunk thing or like, I want to draw a Western, right? And sometimes it, you know, it might be way more specific of like, I want to, you know, I, I really want to draw a story about, you know, a mother and a son or like whatever, right? Like there's, there's so many answers if you ask, you know, very broad questions like that, just to sort of see what is on their mind. And then that's also like, for me, at least like that sparks my imagination so much more than like, you know, just sitting around being like, oh, I don't know, I want to do a, you know, story about space, space scoundrels. I'll call it uh, uh, Sky Wars. Ah, shit, that's already done. Like, I, it's just, it's really cool because, you know, you'll often be surprised at the things that, that 
they say just in terms of like what's interesting them, especially if they're not really thinking about like how to make a story out of it, right? If they're just kind of going, oh yeah, I don't know, I've been into horses and computers and uh, airplanes lately. And then you can go, okay, sick, like uh, what can I do with those three things? You know, and, and it's cool because oftentimes it'll be stuff that maybe doesn't normally fit together, but the tension between those things actually creates a really interesting story and an interesting dynamic. Um, and so the story that I just wrote for Rachel, uh, I'm really happy with, she's really happy with, and it was completely born out of just like me, you know, we, there was this anthology that we wanted to put a story into. We knew, you know, how many pages that the thing had to be. And then I just sort of asked her like what she was into lately. Right. Like, you know, oftentimes artists will sort of be in a sort of pattern that they might want to break away from, or like, you know, they have a thing that they haven't done yet, like whatever it is. Um, and so she just gave me like kind of a few vague things that she was just interested in. And for whatever reason, it, it, it got into my head, just like the first time we collaborated, like it got into my head and I kind of started seeing some potential there and seeing like ways that I could use those things that she was interested in to sort of shape a new and fun story. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm jazzed on collaboration. I, I freaking love it. I love drawing my own stories, but I also really love working with other artists um, and just barely, you know, like this is uh, an earlier one, but, um, like earlier in the process, but, uh, myself and, and another cartoonist, um, just started, you know, working together to see if we can figure something out to do kind of Eastman and Laird style. Um, you know, where we write, you know, like outline, write, thumbnail, draw, color, letter, like all of that those stages in the process that we sort of do collaboratively and bounce back and forth and like revise each other's work. Um, and it was another one of those cases of just like both of us kind of talking to each other and seeing the things that we were interested in and like the things that we enjoy writing about the most and the things that we kind of want to draw the most. And even just the things that we like to read or like the types of character dynamics and relationships that we like to have at the core of our stories. And, you know, within like a few hours, we really like, I mean, honestly, within like an hour, we had a really, really cool idea that like was fleshing itself out sort of effortlessly that like was something that neither of us had really um, quite seen or read before, at least not done in this way, um, that pulled from both of our very different influences um, and obviously some of the same influences, but like just, you know, I don't know that thing. So uh, all of this to say like, this last, you know, week or two, the biggest lesson that I've learned again, you know, and I think a lot of these kinds of lessons, you end up learning them quite a few times and sort of seeing the benefits of, of those lessons you learn before they finally stick in your head. Um, it's just to like talk to your collaborators, you know, and, and, and try and pull as much from them as they can pull from you and, and challenge each other and, you know, try and like, really activate each other's creativity you know don't don't approach your collaboration in a selfish way um approach it in 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 a way that is interested in pulling you know the deepest passions and interests from all creators you know all collaborators that are involved in the project um and and you know i mean tying it back in thematically to today's interview uh kyle and chris talk about that they talk about the ways that they're their influences and approaches um, affect their process working on Trigger Keaton, right? Like they are both cartoonists. They have both done multiple graphic novels that are amazing on their own. And they're both very different creators when they're creating their own material. Um, 
you know, but they've also worked together. This will mark the third time they've worked together. Um, and so they talk a bit about like how, how their sensibilities line up and, and how one, you know, can kind of push the other in one direction while the other pushes, you know, the, like just the way that they push and pull each other creatively and create something together that is, you know, a bit different than what they might create on their own. Um, and so it's really cool. I, I, I loved hearing the way that they approach their process um, and the way that they approach their collaboration. And obviously, they're just very good friends. If any of you, you know, are sort of aware of, um, you know, both of their kind of history and, and whatever, like you'll probably know that they're very good friends. Um, and you can hear that in this interview. Uh, the way that they talk to each other is, is very much the way that two people who are good friends and, and you know, collaborators uh, talk and they criticize each other and jab at each other while also, you know, adoring and appreciating each other's work. So, you know, honestly, it's really cute. I'm going to say it. You might, you might decide to say it. You might decide not to say it. But I personally, I think it's cute. Um, and I think their work is incredible and I think this book is going to be amazing. Um, so, you know, all of that to say, I think it is just about time to get on into that interview, but not before I remind you about our friends at Garm. They're my friends. They're your friends. Garm is the graphic artist resource management company, and they are providing digital artists with all the tools they need to add that extra dimensionality to their artwork. Um, I personally use the Rawhide kit a lot. It adds a lot of, you know, tactile and 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 textured uh, layering to the work. And I just really enjoy that. I work digitally because it is so much faster and uh, so much more streamlined. And I'm on the road, so I can't really be carrying around a ton of pens and pencils and paper and all that stuff with me. Uh, so being able to just use my Surface is amazing that I can just pop out at any time and start working on comics. Um, and, and Garm really helps me kind of get exactly the look that I want, despite the fact that I'm working digitally. Uh, and so I, I highly recommend them. I, you should all go to garmcompany.com slash TMBC and you can get 20% off your order of any of their products. They have procreate tools, Photoshop tools, all that stuff to help you, uh, you know, achieve some looks that would be very labor intensive normally uh, if you were to try and, and do them on your own digitally or even physically. Um, but with Garm's tools, they will take you seconds to get uh, the look you're trying to achieve. So again, garmcompany.com slash TMBC. Uh, and once again, a reminder, please, if you're enjoying the show, leave a rating, leave a review spread the word, let people know that you're digging it. Um, and if you're on the social medias, uh, you can follow the show at TMBC workshop. You can follow me at Jason halftones and you can follow Kyle Starks at the Kyle Starks or Chris Schweitzer at Schweitzer comics. Without further ado though, let's get on into the freaking show. I am here with the creative team behind the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton coming soon from Skybound. It is Kyle Starks and Chris Schweitzer. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having us, man. We're thanks, stuck. Jason. Absolutely, absolutely. So, of course, like I said today, we're here to talk about your new uh, Image Skybound book, which I believe marks the third collaboration between you two gentlemen. Is that correct? Uh, it's actually yes, higher sir. than that. It's the, it's the first time that Chris, like Chris has done colors on two of my books. So this yeah. is the second time that it's art and words. So we did Mars Attacks for Dynamite, and now we're doing this, and hopefully we do 400 more. <laughs> what was the... Because I, I actually was only... Uh, I only realized, I think, that Chris had colored um, Rock Candy Mountain. What was the other book that uh, you colored, Chris? Bullhead. 
Old Head. That oh, of course, Old Head. I have that book sitting on my shelf. Good Kickstarter, good book. Um, and we'll talk about Kickstarter at some point in the show. But I think uh, I want to I want to start from the beginning of this creative collaboration. Where did you two meet? I want to keep talking over Chris. I want to see how long I can talk. <laughs> how long I can talk before he gets a word in? <laughs> I I actually think you remember that I, we met at Heroes a million years ago. Yeah. Um, and we did what, a book seven, trade. Probably seven years ago, somewhere like that. Maybe. Um, so so Kyle, uh, I, I met him passively. He seemed nice. He was friends with a couple of people that I knew. Sure. Uh, and um, as he was leaving the show, um, he came over and he was like, hey, hey, I got a, I got a book for you. Uh, and he handed me a book. Uh, I guess, I don't know if we did a trade or if we did a trade. You, ins- you insisted a trade. on a trade. I was, I had, I had something like five books too many to put in boxes. To fit in the box. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Which is the only reason that he gave classic. me a book. Cause yeah, he, cause... he won't give anybody books. <laughs> no um, man, that's $20. Give me the $20. That's a classic, con- that's, <laughs> that's a classic convention move though. Is like, yeah. is it more worth it to me to not have to figure out how to haul this or just to, to get rid yeah. of it? You know, if you're like... flying for sure. I don't know why. I'm kind of OCD about boxes, I think, is really like I could have put like in my backpack or something. But I was like, sure, no, I'll sure. just I'll just find people who want this book who I think are cool. And <laughs> I was under the impression Chris was cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, I read it and it was good. It was really good. Uh this was uh Legend of Ricky Thunder, I think. Of course. And I thought, oh, he's a legit fella. Uh not a hack. And not a hack. And he had talked, um, I, I forget if he had told me he lived in Evansville or if he was nearby or something. I think at the time I lived in Nashville. You, you didn't, it was later. We did, what happened is, so we met at Heroes, but we did this, um, we did this like, it wasn't a convention, but it, this university put on something like a convention in Sumter, uh-huh. Sumter, North Carolina, South Carolina? South, South Carolina. Okay. And it was like me and Erica Henderson and Schweitzer. And I want to say maybe Sanford Green was there. Maybe I can't remember yeah. who all was there. You we, were ended there. Up, we ended up hanging out, and we were I, we, we had to talk about like Commando or something. But it came up that you lived in Kentucky, <laughs> and then we're like, oh well, we, we should hang out sometime, pal. And we did. I came up. I, I called him up, and I was like, hey, uh, our kids are the same age. Let's meet at a park for a play hey. date. And we did. And the kids ran around and played. Me and Kyle chatted for about an hour, and we did that again not too long after that. And uh, you agreed to call Rocky about at some point, and then he and then he started texting me, and I was like, "What is this? I don't <laughs> I don't text with anybody, um, because uh, I don't. Uh, I I'm not a I'm not an idle conversationalist. Like I sure. tend to prefer to hold up and not talk to anybody for days on end. Uh, and so I'll talk to my wife, and now I talk to Kyle because he kind of forced his way into my text message. He just yes. he'd send me something, and it would be interesting, and I'd want to respond to it like a uh, tick. Which I usually don't like. I really i i don't i don't private message people. I don't text people. I don't call people. I call. I, I've called my mom every day, more or less, since my dad passed away, and that's really it. Like that. That's wow. it for phone conversation for me. I'm like I I enjoy seeing people when I see them mm-hmm. uh, infrequently, and the rest of the time I just want to be by myself. Listen, um, there was there was a truck painted like a tiger. There was oh, a I forgot about oh, tiger truck. There was a mug. There was a mug with hobo symbols on it. And then at some point we became like weird virtual studio mates. Wow. Yeah. And that, that's how, kind of how our, our situation is. We're, we're in a lot of ways sort of each other's unofficial editors. So like when I have story things or page things or something, I'll send them to Kyle. We'll get back and forth feedback. He'll do the same with me. And so mm-hmm. we usually talk each other's um, projects out. And that mm-hmm. doesn't, isn't to say that we're not still 
conceiving of our own projects and working of on course. our own projects. But you know, it, it's helpful to have a a an artistic For, collaborator with a reliable to, a reliable stuff. thing to bounce i i uh, i became codependent on chris for definitely like a year and a half <laughs> where if he didn't say it was good then i was like i'm not doing it like i needed to hear that's good from chris first thing sure. or else i was like fuck it i'm not doing this i'm not doing this good thing so if he doesn't think it's good i'm not even bothering that's that's it so you know, having that type of dynamic, you know, where, where you're sort of, you know, each other's, you know, collaborator, sounding board, editor, pseudo, right? Like, you know, in that way, was it interesting or, or, or was it kind of weird to get into a situation where you started having official editors involved in your collaborations? Well, listen, listen like, uh, it's not a secret. I hate editors. Uh, <laughs> even the ones I like, I don't like. And I'll tell you why, because I like Chris, uh, I goof on Chris a lot. But like that mm-hmm. dude knows knows how story works and he knows form and he understands sequential storytelling, which is more important than anything. The, those things in comics are in clarity, like he gets right. it right. And I have mm-hmm. a uh, Andy Hirsch is someone else who I run stuff by, but not like Chris is literally my studio. Like outside of us not living in the same city, like I literally when I finish something, I'm like, hey, look, every single time, <laughs> right? Every single time. Yeah. And the thing is, like, I know I've seen the work that Chris has made on his own, and Chris has mm-hmm. seen the work that I made on our. It's like we. I trust Chris so much because I know he can successfully do what I endeavor to do. Right. Like when an editor comes in and doesn't say something Chris said, I'm like, mm. we're, just try- <laughs> I'm like we're just, we're just trying to say something. Aren't we boys? Um, Take that. John and, Moisen. and so th- this is a, this is a, a uh, this is a situation where it's sort of, it's I'm the opposite. I'm like, Kyle, when an editor says something, you know, not uh, 19 times out of 20, sometimes you get a bad editor, Sure. It's happened infrequently to me. It's happened, you know, it, it, it does. But 19 times out of 20, if an editor, uh, you know, says this tripped me up for some, or this needs to right. be addressed, it's not because yeah, their their solution may be wrong. Like their 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 mm-hmm. suggestion for what uh, for what needs to be how it needs to be remedied might be off the mark in terms of character or what you're trying right. to do or something like that. But the fact that they were tripped up by something in the book means that there's a good chance your reader might get tripped up there. I've, and so, I've never had someone say, I'm a little tripped up on this. There was like, what if instead? Or they get, here's the only, here's the only editorial <laughs> no, notes I want. What if instead is not, that, that is, that, that, that still means they got tripped up there. Here, something jarred them out of reading to think <laughs> this needs to be different. These are the and only so, notes. These are the only notes yeah. I want to hear, Chris. I, want, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will respond to. I don't understand what's happening here. One uh-huh. and two. What if we put a dog in there? That's the only two notes I'm interested in. <laughs> now, here, here's just a philosophical question. While we're on the topic mm-hmm. of of dogs, um, I don't know. I, I have a dog. Do both of you have dogs? Oh yeah, I have three I dogs. Do I I have yeah, I have yeah. one one cat that hates us and one cat that loves us. There you go. Uh, <laughs> philosophically, putting a dog in a story. Uh, uh, what is your thoughts on that dog then dying in the story? I, I want people to always think the dog is going to die, and uh-huh. then it doesn't. Okay. <laughs> I can do it, but here's the thing: I've done notably. I've done. Uh, I feel like all of them have dogs in it, but then I went back and like only two of them. Like Dead of Winter, it's literally the yeah. dog is the main character. So uh, any other time a dog is put there, the dog is probably the most interesting character in the story. I can't, sure. I just, they're, they're carrying the load for me dramatically. So I can't <laughs> off them. We put, like we put Butthead in, in Mars Attacks. Like you don't need, it didn't need a dog, but I put a dog named Butthead in there. <laughs> and then I have to draw a dog. Animals are hard. Like Yeah, they're hard. Yeah. I, didn't put, yeah. I didn't put a horse named Butthead in there. You should be thankful. 
I know. I had to do horses in my last gig, and I was like, oh, I kind of I kind of like horses. I was thinking that fantasy thing I was talking about, I was thinking about replacing all the horses with, like, big chickens or something so that I wouldn't have to draw horses. But the the, the Horse. gig I just, just did, Horse. I had to draw. What, horses aren't that bad. Like, their heads are weird, but their bodies aren't that bad. No, here's the problem with horses. It's it's we we recognize when a horse is moving wrong. But the problem is a horse only looks right. Like its legs only look right in like two out of those 24 frames of a horse running. Yeah. Sure. And so you're really limited to what doesn't look terrible and also is right. That's why you always do just like waist up from the horse. <laughs> you know, you I, like legs. Like, I like them feet on the ground, Kyle. Who needs I, to see feet? I recently heard something that like made horses horses never used to be terrifying to me. I grew up in Utah. I like rode horses and had that whole country thing for, for part of my upbringing. But someone told me recently that horse legs are just big fingers. Like they're more finger than they are leg. And that to me is terrifying. They have two. two, I can buy that. (laughs) They have two joints, right? Yeah. They have two joints and then, and the horse uh, shoe or the horse, you know, the, the hoof is a fingernail. Like, like biologically it's a fingernail. That doesn't bother me. That is I came real close to buying an unpapered horse uh, when I was in college, and uh, I'm real glad the guy ended up not selling it to me when he realized oh. it was for a Halloween costume. For a Halloween costume. He was going to buy a horse when he was in college. <laughs> 65 bucks. That is a well worthwhile That's a endeavor. But then I was going to have to, but but I was planning Beat on it. like keeping it in my house, Pippi Longstocking style. I was just going to get some hay. <laughs> it was, it would have been, it would have been a real bad situation. And probably somebody at the Halloween party would have ended up dead. And probably. It yeah. the Trammels, but yeah. It, it's it's, it's, it's much better dollars. in the long term that I, you know, did not uh, end up getting the horse. I respect the commitment to the bit, but I also am sure that like <laughs> Halloween party is not very high on the list of places horses feel comfortable. No, no, no. I, uh, <laughs> but you know, when I was young, I was really stupid. I'm slightly less stupid now, but um, <laughs> uh, but man, the the degree of staggering incompetence at just basically being alive that I had when I was yep. and guess 19 what? is. There. More will come up in this conversation. So let's move on to the next sure. question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no worries. Uh, so you talk about involving each other a lot in your creative processes. Um, but when you're working together, is there a point in the process where you feel like you need to sort of shut the other person out of, of the work and just focus? This, like, this sounds not like a good question way, for but... Chris. This sounds like <laughs> one that might interest Chris. <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> how, how do I... Uh, how do I address this? So, uh, so I, one of the things, yeah. especially when we did Mars Attacks, I, like there was a there was a point where there was a point where it was like I was like, hey, not it's, I can't. It's, it's I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Like the thing was like Chris was like I understand. Like we we reached a point where Chris was like I understand that you're the writer and I'm the artist, mm-hmm. right? But we talked out the story a fair amount. But I but I remember like the way Mars Attacks happened is like. They were like, "Hey, would you like to do Mars Attacks?" And I was like, "I don't know. If I if I think of a good idea, I'll do it." And I like that's it. Like if I can't think of a good idea, I'm not going to do it. I don't need to do it. I don't want it. Like I like Tim Burton's Mars Attacks. I never read the cards. Sure. Anyway, I took a shower and I was like, "Whoa, I think I have a good idea." So I texted Chris because that's what happens. I'm like, "Dude, I have this idea. Do you think it's good?" He's like, "Yeah. Tell him I'll draw it." And I'm like, "That's not how it works. Like you don't just get to tell people." But anyway, <laughs> it, is, Power move. It, is, it is how it works. But so like you know like my thing would be like, "Hey, like I, as I was kind of going through it." You know, I kind of get ideas like, you know, like a waterfall. So there's certain mm-hmm. things like, it's like, well, some of that stuff kind of bounces off the rocks and some of it makes in the water to me. And the stuff that makes in the water isn't going anywhere. Like there's no, 
there's no person, there's no collaborator who I'm going to listen to. Like these are the right. things that interest me about the story. I'm going to say the Chris, you know, we talked about the story. I'm like, oh, what about this? And you know, there'd be things like, oh, Chris is like, oh, I can use this is what the characters will be like. They'll look, it'll be cool. So like, we kind of we kind of work out, but it, I like it's kind of eighty twenty. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right on on what story development on story. or something? Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. And then Chris starts drawing it, and he just draws it, and then afterwards I'd be like, what, 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 what? <laughs> did, did I change things? Maybe. Well, yeah. So I'm not. Um, Chris, Chris likes to make some decisions on his own, and like I think that's cool. Uh, I think that's cool. It, it's sometimes a source of contention, and I do have to balance out. Like, is this something that like does we both this? Do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, does does this affect what Kyle's trying to do? Does this mm. change the the nature of his characters or his dialogue or things like mm. that? Um, is this uh, like basically like does it become a story issue or does it become an execution issue? Um, mm. And so execution issue, uh, generally speaking, I feel like I've got a lot of leeway. And so yeah. if there's something right. that I think could be handled it a little bit differently. I'll, I'll usually handle it a little, ah, handle it a little bit differently. Absolutely. And most of the time I will wait until after it's done to show it to Kyle. Um, <laughs> so that he feels mm-hmm. more reluctance telling me, wait, yeah. don't change it. Because uh, if someone because told me to change it, if someone told me to change it, I'd be like, no. Yeah. <laughs> and he knows yeah. that. So if sure. it's already done, then he'll yeah. only tell me not to change it and to go back to the original if it really matters. Yeah, sure, sure. And so it gives me a little bit of, of flexibility there. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes uh, there will be things where I don't necessarily understand. Like there, there's a situation of Mars Attacks, like the probably like the biggest emotional moment in Mars mm-hmm. Attacks. Uh-huh. I didn't completely understand what Kyle meant pacing wise, and I had done done it a certain way. Uh-huh. And Kyle was like, no, 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 that's not right. And that's like one of the only things where like I had to redo pretty the much page. the whole page. Yeah. Wow. But it was once I once I uh grasped what he was it's perfect. what he was trying to do with it, it ended up being perfect. Yeah. And it was absolutely a thing. But like sometimes sometimes there'll be a bit of dialogue and I'm like, he, he's repeat uh, th- this exchange isn't quite right. And I'll text him and I'll be like, hey, can I change this to this? And here's why. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes he'll, he'll just say, do what you want. Sometimes he'll say no, but change it to this. Sometimes yeah. he'll say no. And here's why, like, um, uh, so it's, you know, there, there's a lot of I, flexibility I on both ends. I generally let Chris do any change he wants because he's drawing the book and it's a lot of work uh-huh. unless it's dialogue related or it affects the character in a way that what the character would do. The, the nature of the character is the story. So but it's yeah, pretty right. rare, and generally, he's well. Not- there are some things with with this book too that you're like that you're like uh, you know in interactions with with one of the characters. There's there's a character named Paul, and you're like he's dodging this, but he's got his fists up. Like he needs to be oh, yeah. in an in an actively non aggressive yeah. thing. But like you know, I mean, there will be there will be things where you'll point something out character wise about the drawing, and I'm like, yeah, you know, easy fix. I can I can adjust that character. That, that character though should be said completely changed because of how you drew in the first issue. Oh yeah, oh oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. So, what you know, in, in terms of looking for that particular thing you're talking about, how much info could you give the listeners to sort of keep their eye out for without uh, giving anything away? Oh, it's it's not really a giveaway. I mean, no, it is. <laughs> no, you know, at the, at the beginning, I mean, it it introduces Paul as like a wuss. Paul's. I, I don't want to get into this. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> you probably like, here's the thing, like Paul's wussiness is a factor of, it's part of the arc of the story, but it did become mm -hmm. less an arc of the story uh, because Chris has opinions about martial arts in real life, basically. <laughs> <laughs> put, that, put that one in the, the fucking uh, artist edition. <laughs> interesting, very interesting. I, I basically, I, because here's the thing. Here's my thing with working with Chris, mm -hmm. uh, who I who is great, who I love. He's Chris is literally my best friend. He's my virtual studio mate. I I would happily only work with Chris, you know, for the rest of my life. Um, though I do want to see other women, basically. Um, <laughs> but the thing is this: I understand that asking Chris to draw my book is like asking me to draw somebody's book. Though I would just say no. Right. Like I would just say no. One, I'm not as good as a storyteller as Chris. Why are you asking me to draw a book? Like you couldn't find anyone else. Um, but I understand, like, it, is that I if if I saw a better way, I would want to in, put that in a book, and I get that from right. so, and that's the thing is like there's bounce. I would say for for story, especially for this one, because it'd be I'd be like, and then this, and, and Chris would be like, mm. and I'd be like, all right, well, what about this? And he'd be like, mm. <laughs> and we, I'd fix it because like a lot of like you still it's it's weird to me as someone who's mainly who's really selfish in comics and making books for himself is like I do also think like like Mars Attacks is really violent. Right. It's really mm -hmm. viscerally violent. And kid Chris's table is mostly like kids and people who like history. And that sure. Trigger Keaton is about the worst human being, like just this <laughs> terrible human being who's in flashbacks. But like his he has repercussions. And because of mm -hmm. that, these characters are all sort of traumatized in a certain way. So it's like this is an adult book. It's funny. But like this book isn't kid friendly. I think right. I think it's teen friendly for sure. Sure. I'm like, Kyle, if you just took out the swears, we could sell this to nine-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. No so, think, so sometimes that word, like if, if, if I, if I was just writing, if I just wrote six sidekicks, which wouldn't be as good. Cause again, Chris had input through the whole, if, fuck, it's Chris's uh -huh. idea. The book was Chris's idea in many ways. Right. Um, if I did this well, with somebody the, the, else, the germ, the germ was my idea. And Kyle took a very yeah. flawed germ and turned it into something that could be a, a really strong story. But Yeah. So it wouldn't have existed, but it's like if I if I wrote this idea of a book for someone else, it'd be way more messed up. It'd be way more messed up. <laughs> like there would have been so like you, there's you, no you, sex you cults. Vanilla, been, yeah, for sure. It for me, oh, because like I would put sex cults. There would have been like weird. There were I would have like because because like. You want to now you're getting everybody like, excited for a book that's not going to exist. <laughs> tell, they, tell them the, the plus things that you put in that you wouldn't have. I mean, like trick, like trick or Keaton. You wouldn't dead. put in as many car chases. No, as that's many right. Ninja fights. That's true. So there's a balance. Yeah, fewer sex cults, more car chases. Yeah, like all mm. the, all like the really depraved sort of like stuff that I, I think I would have done. Like instead, like the, like there wouldn't have been a stunt. Well, maybe they would. The stuntman war is so good. Anyway, <laughs> it would have been worse. I like I would like because he's a misogynist. We also like the other thing is like we kind of went back on four. Not like, Chris, the character of Trigger Keaton. Trigger Keaton, yeah, the, the, of like <laughs> of like how awful is Trigger Keaton in book? Mm -hmm. Like to show how much is shown and how much is told, you know? Right, right. And since he was dead, it was kind of more told than shown, which makes it easier. But we kind of would just be like, well, he's not. He's awful. We couldn't decide how awful he was for a long time. Like, is he really we awful, or is he? We just... also, yeah. Well, we also got into arguments as to which things would be better shown and which are better yeah. told. Like some right. things are going to be more uh, powerful 
if you never see them. Yeah, if yeah. It's just a reference that people make to this or that. And some things are going to be uh, only powerful if you see them. And so we right. were, you know, trying to find the balance of those. And yeah. I'm sure there's also and, probably sensitivity issues that get involved too so, when talking so, about sort I of mean, past drama. We're not, like, we're considering, yeah, yeah, yeah. we're considering people. But again, this is a, also a, this book about trauma and, uh, and finding found families is a comedy. There you go. Okay. Well, I mean, I you know, I figured there'd probably be some humor with these these two illustrious gentlemen creating a book. Well, here's the thing. I'm not funny at all. Like, um, I'm really not. I rely on... Uh, he's amusing. I'm amusing. I'm yeah. anecdotally funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and I, the thing is, I think I have good comic timing, but I you don't do. have... Uh, but, but I, I, I am not a naturally funny person. My, my version of funny is always the idea of what should be funny right? rather than, you know, <laughs> any inherent humor, I guess. And, yeah, right. and Kyle, Kyle, uh, on the page is, is one of the funniest dudes you'll ever find. Yeah. Um, and so it's, so I, I just try to, you know, clinically, uh, administer his humor sure. into a way that resonates on the, on the page. That makes a lot of sense. I think the, uh, it, it's great. It's great working together. That's the story. God, I tried to do a comic strip when I was in in college, and it's just uh, go back and read it. It's not. Hey Bart, where's the football? Ha! Huh, I don't like football. <laughs> That's it. That's the whole comic. <laughs> Bart's it like a frog with a great. baseball hat. Yeah. I've I've definitely found for myself that like in my own work, whether it's writing or or you know like drawing whatever, I'm definitely a gags guy, and I don't know how to do jokes. And I live with someone who tells jokes at a very high level for a living. And I just like, it's always, it's always amazing to me to like read a joke and be like, oh, that's a, that's funny. (laughs) You just, you did something funny. Um, So have you guys before, I want to, you know, talk a lot of process stuff. You're obviously both cartoonists as well as writers and artists, like, you know, as, as separate modes, but also united and and collaborating together, I think is a really interesting alchemy. But I am wondering, uh, your collaborations thus far have involved Kyle as a writer Chris as an artist or Chris as a colorist. Uh, Don't say uh, it. Have you ever thought Don't say it. about reversing the roles? Chris writes, Kyle draws. It's uh, no. Um, uh, <laughs> Good. Not, not, because, not, not because I don't like Kyle's drawings and because I don't like his comics because I absolutely love them. But um, the, the, the thing is the overwhelming majority of the time, if mm-hmm. I am writing a project, um, if I am writing a project on spec, it's something that I'm very emotionally invested in. And therefore, once I get it finished, I want to draw it. Right. Um, the only time that's not going to be the case is if I have an idea for a project that I know I would be ill suited to write like six mm. sidekicks, which is why I go to Kyle with it. Sure, um, sure. Uh, and so, you know, basically that's like, that's like storyboarding a film and then giving it to somebody else to direct. Like it would be, it would be hard for me. Um, and uh, so I do, I do write for other people, but it's always for higher jobs. Um, right, right. and so it's, you know, somebody comes to me and says, do you want to write this thing? Or, uh, sometimes I'll go to a publisher and say, Hey, can I write this thing? Um, sure. and, uh, in those instances, but it's, it's not something that I'm conceiving of from the ground up. So that, that's my main reason for it is just artistic selfishness. Right. That makes sense. For you don't for, want to draw anything anybody else drew. You're like, if I'm drawing, I want it to be. One it's of like I said earlier. I'm, I'm, I think that I'm a competent artist, but I feel like if if Kyle Starks is the one you're coming to to draw, what happened to all the other comic artists? <laughs> he That's says that, uh, uh, 
and 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 I used to feel the same way. Like I, you know, Kyle's the first person. Well, that I, think, I think that I think I, you're the first person that I ever drew for somebody else who wrote. You did a Kurtz comic before you worked with me. I think you say that. No, but, but I but I wrote oh, you that wrote one. that. All right, my yeah. bad. Well, no, you need, I think, here's I, the thing. I got you when you needed money. I got it yep, when you needed money. <laughs> I think, like, my thing, you know, my thing is, like, so when I when I decided I was going to make comics, my I had this sort of metric for how a comic is good, and I'm going to mm-hmm. do it now. You could, have a, you could have a great story with bad art. It'll be good. You could have great art with a bad story. It'll be good. Or you can have, like, good writing and good art. And I'm good writing good art. That's but, oh, I thought you were gonna. That that's where we are. We're no, good no, writing good no, art. No, no, no. But see, like I'm. I think I'm definitely a better storyteller than I am an artist, right? I think like that's. They didn't hire me to draw Rick and Morty. You know, they didn't hire me to draw Mars Attacks or Assassination. Like they, I'm hired to write those things. And that's why I was like, man, I'm a better writer. And as someone who draws their own thing, like Assassination and all these, all these, everything, uh, even like Dead of Winter and Rick and Morty, it's like, man. It's really cool when someone who draws better than I do draws the thing because I can see it how I would draw it, right? Like I'm sure I'm mostly and it's funny because like I'm I hesitate to to be like, man, I don't I I wouldn't do this. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to do this if someone asked me to do it when I'm writing scripts for other people. Um because I have like a there's a page like in the first issue of Rock Candy Mountain, I have like an 18 panel page. Mm-hmm. That I would never, I would never ask Chris to do an 18 panel page, even if I did it because I thought it was necessary. So there's things like that that weigh into it, but I'm, I, I just, there's no, me drawing something would be for money. That's the only mm-hmm. reason why I would do it. And people shouldn't, people, I, I just can't imagine many people look at my work and go, what, a, what an amazing artist, but people do for Chris. He's great. And Chris on the page is, is I like, there's just, there's few better in my opinion. So nice, I think man. him and, and Erica too, like, I'm not, I don't like God was great. Mark Ellerby on Rick and Morty would elevate. He would yeah. elevate my jokes, which is like, the fucking best, right? <laughs> um, but to see, like, r- to my my opinion, real sequential artists doing my stuff, like, it's better. Like, why would I draw it? Sure. I, we could, uh, but I wouldn't, like, here's the thing, I think it was Six Sidekicks, I think Chris will admit, especially because like, he's on issue four now, is like, because he has not written it and he has not put it in the order and the way that he necessarily would, I think it's, at this point, he's a little bit off of it a little bit. So, I right. mean, for the next one, we talked, like, we talked for the next pitch, it's like, Chris, you should be more involved with the story part. Like it should be something that you're stoked about through the whole thing. Because I understand that. That's why I don't want to draw someone else's thing because I won't care. I won't care about it. But here's the here's the tricky part, and this is this is the part where that that um, split of of duties is the tricky. It doesn't matter. Like I I was fully involved in the story on this one. Like you know, I mean, mm-hmm. like you did the writing, but you also yeah. you know be, cleared everything be... with me by you know by and large. If, if that's yeah. the right way to put it, yes. But the, but the thing is, and you sent me the scripts before you ever sent them to the editor and I'd send you notes and things mm-hmm. like that. It's, it's less that it's less not having impact or input in the story. It's more that, or the thing that's, that's hard for me is that as I do the story, I realize in drawing a character a certain way or in doing a scene a certain way, I realize there's something with the environment that I've drawn, or there's something with the character that I've drawn that opens up a different story avenue that I otherwise wouldn't have considered. And then the, my oh. instinct is to want to veer in that direction. I, I understand you're crazy. You're saying, <laughs> you're saying I'm a crazy man. Yes. That's the thing. And those are, but, but the thing <laughs> is like when I'm working on my own books, those are the, the points yes. of the book where I feel the proudest and where I feel the most, they're the most um, 
emotional connection between the, the reader and the audience exists or the audience and the page exists mm-hmm. in those venues where the page is telling me what to do. And when I'm working no, for the I script, no, it's harder to do that. I agree. And you do that on yours. Like you said, when you were sending old head, you'd be, you'd, you'd take a wild tour, like away from your but, script and you'd well, be like, I want to do this. Yes. But here's the thing. Here's the thing with that for me. And yeah. I think my perspective is different for me, especially with comedy is I'll go, Oh, I will add more panels. I will right. add yeah. more work. Whereas yeah. when I wrote the script, like I already read through that. Like I went through all the things. I'm like, this is, this is the bit here. I, and then it's like, Oh, I have to get rid of three pages of bits. But it's like I do that. I, yeah, I get you. It, it's and for whatever reason, I think it's because we're cartoonists. It's sure. easier for that stuff to happen while you're in the process. Yeah. Like it, while you're in the process to go, uh, and you, you know, uh, Erica did it. Did this also that Chris will do. And again, it's, it's a cartoonist thing. Is right. I'd be like, oh, I will only write six panels for Erica because like this, this is for this is she's, work. She's going to add a handful, and yeah. she's going to yeah. add. And it's like I'm not asking. I'm trying to, but she's like, oh, we should like this is better in two panels. And I'm like, I know it is, but I'd never ask. <laughs> Because like it's just like like Rick and Morty yeah. like if I went over six panels on a page like I'm like this is work like they're working right. yeah like you get royalties and you get, it's like it's not the same man like yeah. I would never ask for someone to do what I do um, though I think I I have more with Chris because I know he knows where I'm coming but, from but you talk about it ahead of time you would say things like like you know like Mostly. you'd say hey let's in this scene let's do a such and such and I was like let's do it like Mad Marginals and oh yeah put yeah this guy has people. This guy, Fighting on the fight scene for like six pages straight, and you're gonna choreograph the whole thing, and it's and I and it's oh man, yeah. And Kyle's like, okay, and he just the script. He's like, Chris wants to do something dumb in the margins. <laughs> just let him have his way. Um, and and John, who was the editor, is like, is this yeah. like? Can we go into detail here? And Kyle's like, no, Chris will Chris will handle it. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's they well, they don't ask now. They're not gonna ask now. Sure. Now that they see stuff, they know. They're like, yeah, they're they, like, they understand. Like, hey, should we do like five pages of a car chase? And I'm like, yeah, just fucking wait. <laughs> That's what I said, isn't it, Chris? Yeah. They're like, they're like, five pages of car chase kind of seems like filler. I'm like, wait till you fucking see it, dog. Yeah. Like, I, we know and what Kyle we're doing. Dialogue, like he'll put, he's like, work this dialogue into yeah. the car chase. Yeah. Right. And you have you have five pages to do it. And I'd say, okay. Um, and so then you cut, so, so those are the areas where I felt, you know, I mean, they, yeah. they take a little bit longer cause I'm also choreographing a car chase, yeah. um, and wanting to make, you know, and, and there, there are things that on pages like martial arts and car chases are two things that in theory, uh, you know, they're great, but it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do those in static images and not yeah. have it sort of go into yeah. like, he, let I, me, hold on, let me paraphrase. Chris wanted to show off a little bit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's sort of like the Ditko approach and the Kirby approach to action. You yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, the, totally. The Ditko approach is, is you can follow this like a diagram, and that's the way that I like to go. And mm-hmm. or you can have the Kirby approach, which is you get a sense of the scale and the scope and the dynamism of the action. Yeah, and I, it's not beat I, to beat and panels. Like if you yeah. actually think about the panels next to each other, they're not necessarily going to make sense, but it yeah. works emotionally. Yeah. And neither one is is better on its own merits. But I definitely like to skew towards the I want to be able to. To for somebody to go out and shoot this fight scene. Clarity of storytelling. It's clarity of storytelling. That is that but, is really interesting. Ditko versus Ditko versus Kirby. I think that's like so much of particularly American comics, but like I think comics in general comes down to that kind of like the that balance between the two. At least if you're ter- talking about genre comics, is is like yeah, clarity versus dynamism, like and trying to find the the balance between those I'm two. All about clarity, poles. baby. I'm all about clarity. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, 
so I want to I want to kind of go through. Obviously, you know, we talked about you're both cartoonists, writers, artists, and and I I, I want to sort of uh, talk about both of your processes by way of comparing them, right? And, and not not like in a value way, but just sort of how do you this guys differ in your approach? Um, so I guess my my first question is: when you're working on your own book that you're writing and drawing, where do both of you start? the process like once you have an idea of course like you've got an idea and it's sort of gestated to the point where you want to actually start executing something to some level on it what is your first move do you, you want me to I go text, first i text i text <laughs> kyle <laughs> and I go, that's, dumb. <laughs> I mean, that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard <laughs> not always oh not yeah. always sometimes i go chris i mean that's, that's, a that's really one. a big part of it usually we go on a car trip to a show and we talk out the, the story like and just right. sort of that, well, the, that's the, the basic yeah. germ of a story pre, that was pre-covid. like 2019 2018 I, here's how here's how i make a kyle starks comic book i get an idea that I, i'm like okay i'd like to read that and then i think about it for a long time right i and i i i don't like i i, I literally like tell myself the story and then i make it like the next time i'm like you that this part's too long I tell myself right. the story over and over and over and over. And then what I kind literally... kind of karate prom is it? Things like that, yeah. Like karate, karate prom is a good example, right? So Chris actually wanted me to do a karate prom book for years. But I'm like, that's the dumbest fucking idea. Karate prom is like the, <laughs> karate prom is like the fourth best thing I've ever done, by the way. Um, but I did this, I did free comic book day. And I was like, hey, you know, my, my followers can suggest names and whatever will vote. And whoever wins, that's what I'll do. Chris said karate prom, it's going to win. It's going to win. You can't yeah, beat karate it's a, prom. It's a fucking, that's a hell of a title. And so my thing was like, I'm going to do for free comic day. I'm just going to do like maybe 12 page goof, you know? Sure. But I got in the shower. We've all started there. Yeah. <laughs> I got in the shower and I was like, oh no, I have the idea. And so I get out of the shower and I'm like, Chris, here's my, here's my idea. And Chris is like, yeah. And I got really excited about it. And I did a 32 page comic book in nine days. That's stupid. That's um, insane. <laughs> I, I, I actually want to unpack that more at some point, but, but yeah. go on. Uh, that's dumb. Uh, but it's the same. It's just, it, that's like, that's like a hyper, like, uh, it's like condensed version. I get the idea. I can see right. all the parts. I can see all the parts in the order. And then I just start drawing it. And the thing is when I'm drawing something, like I said, I can always do more. I'm free right. labor to me and I want yeah. it to be right. And I'm not concerned about page counts I, because it's whatever it is. It's either right. going to be kickstarted where no publisher is going to say, Oh, well, 100, 180 pages is better. I'm like, right. who gives a shit? You get to set your own playing field and then maybe approach a, a publisher after sort of the Kickstarter. And, and right. Kind of and even then, way. they're just either going to say yes or no. Like, it's great. Yeah. They're going to say yes. Um, <laughs> but that's kind of like the hyper. is like I tell myself the story and it's not a full story. It's just like so-and-so does this. And I might get a couple jokes that I think mm-hmm. are pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But then mostly, like we were saying earlier, like mostly jokes and action for me happen on the page. Um, right. I have like a set and maybe that's it. But yeah, I think about it enough. I, I know the characters. I know what, I know what are like the, the 20 things. I I know the heart, like the heart's kind of the hardest part always. Like getting the, the bit that's not the story and how I want the story to reflect. Right. Um, uh, karate prom is easy because it's like kids go to a prom, they fall in love, they fight for love. That's easy. Sure. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't write a script. I just go straight to drawing. Um, I, uh, that is not, that's why I have a lot of long books and not short books. No scripts. Do. Don't do it. This, no scripts is a bad idea. Um, I know a lot of people have heard me say that, and then they're like, "Look, I made a comic. I didn't use a script." And I'm like, "Yeah, it's pretty clear. It, it doesn't. I've it doesn't only... seem like you, it doesn't seem like you thought about it a whole lot either." And that's really the part I'd like to emphasize is like, uh, my I've been wanting to start this book, what this year, I guess, right, Chris? Wrestle the Wrestle Heist book. Yeah, I've talked about it since January. Maybe does that sound right to you? 
Sounds about right. But it's like I can't. Like, I'm just, you've been like, you've been touching on Wrestle Heist since Karate Prom. You yeah, because like, it, it was the second prom, place. I want to do Wrestle Heist. It yeah. was the second place runner up to Karate Prom, and I've just been thinking about it. But like the last three months, I've been really thinking about it. It's like I just it hasn't unlocked. Uh, and I've been working on other things. Like I did, I'm working on a, another book for Skybound. It's like I spent like a hard month, and I'm like, this is it. I got it. Let's go. And of course, they're like, uh, sure, wait six weeks between each issue. Um, <laughs> I just that, that's, I, that's my system. Is like you know, if I I don't write anything. I think it, and unless it's something that I know by now, having done this for seven years, like I will forget. Like I wait, I'm about to go to bed. I'm like, oh, I better go write that because I'm about to go to bed. Sure, sure. I don't I don't write a script for myself. It's probably a mistake. But like how I won't have Chris redraw things, I don't like to do things twice. I only want to do them once. Sure. I want to do them. I, I want to measure twice, cut once. That's how I do comic books. Sure. And do, do you take notes at all when you're developing this, or is it fully inside your head and just whatever it, you remember? Here's the way sticks. I feel about it: is that if if it was if it was a, such a good idea, I'd remember it, and I feel like that's been true. I think there's like one, maybe one time where I was like, sh- I should have wrote. I that was a. I, wow. whatever, I had a really good one. Now I can't remember, but I tell myself well, the story. It was, it was looking at the six sidekicks uh, text exchange from the beginning. You were looking back at it and you were like, "Oh, we didn't include that, and that would have been good." But, well, some, you know, stuff, some stuff is just like, yeah, yeah. Why? Well, yeah. what, what did we leave? Do you remember what it was? I can't. I can't remember. But you were like, "Oh, that was good." I was like, "Oh, we didn't um, do that. We didn't do that, and we didn't do that. <laughs> like, we didn't do any of those things." Man, hindsight's terrible in that sense. Um, uh, on on my end, yeah. I usually. I usually don't have an idea. I have something that I want to do a story about. So I have either a lot of times it's historical or genre or something. And so I'll say, okay, so I want to do a story that is a teen horror. I want Mm. to do a story that is teen roadhouse. I want to do a story that takes place in 1860s, New York. I want to do a fantasy. And uh, in order to do that, I will do as much study as I can to give myself mm-hmm. sort of a frame of reference. So if it's if it's a historical thing, I'll, I'll study all the research stuff. If it is a genre thing, I will immerse myself in that genre as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I feel like I've consumed enough of whatever it is to where I don't have to do external reference to see if something has either A, been done before or B, you know, uh, I, I don't have to look stuff up. Like I'll have enough nuggets of information. Then I'll start thinking about what the story is. And so a lot of times I'll, I'll do that kind of prep work about six months before what I'm going to do. And right. that isn't to say that I'm idle during those six months. It just means sure. that while I'm drawing six sidekicks, I'm only listening to this type of audiobook or watching this type of movie. And then once I'm done with six sidekicks, I can roll into this other project or, you know, by, vice versa. And so usually it'll click for me. Like I'll figure out, well, uh, a lot of times it's more deductive or uh, reductive with mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm chipping away at Marvel as opposed sure. to adding to clay. Um, and so I'll say, well, what is it that some of these other stories do that I don't want to do? You know, like if it's fantasy, it's uh, how do I deal with the fact that you're dealing with basically a Euro medieval society, but I don't want to extol the virtues of, uh, dynastic right of kings right, um, right. Like as how, one does of course sure. yeah yeah <laughs> you know and so anyway so i'll start chipping like away and karate saying, prom yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly I, I i don't want this in there what can i have in its place i don't yeah, want this sure. in there what can i have in its place and take the all the things about a genre that i dislike or that i think i would have a problem doing and reworking it into something else and eventually 
it'll click. And sometimes it's within a few weeks, sometimes it's months, but I'll say, Oh, this, this is the key to it. And it's usually on a shower and a walk or whatever. That's Um, funny. I, you know, that I know that's true about you, but I guess like my other thing is always like, let me make the thing that I wish existed in the world. And you're just like, let (laughs) me fix the things I like. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I do want to. I do. I you know, I do want to make a thing that I exist. It, it's just in a different way. I'm like, sure. yeah, yeah. I like these things. I wish they were more like X. Yeah. So I'm gonna create X. Totally. Yeah. That's really, Chris. It sounds like listening to your process, and also just like, you know, I've I've followed your work for a while, and I kind of see like just your your presence and general vibe, and also sort of the way that you work. It seems as though you're a very organized thinker and that you like to organize and plan your process. Um, Kyle, Kyle's making a face. Um, <laughs> is that correct or no? Am I fully no, off base? I, I, I well, think it's, yes and no. It is a yes and no. The thing is, I am not naturally an organized thinker. And so in order to be productive or effective, I sort of force uh, productivity because it's, it's my only way of keeping me from being completely bonkers. Got yeah. it. Um, by, I'd say, by, see, my yeah. answer would be is, is yes, but only for very short periods. And then he's on to yeah, the next, like, true. it's like, it's very organized, true. but it's like, it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's like, it's, it's very densely considered, but it's also very quickly left. Like, so it's only, it's, the next. I've only got 25 minutes of being able to be organized. So I have to really figure out a system yeah. to delve in there because after that, yeah, it's, uh, I'm like, like I, oh no, I, I have to go, I have to go, you know, build a barn uh, yeah. or whatever. Um, it's like a prescriptive approach to ADHD, like through yeah, sort of a methodical and, and, yes. and I'm, I'm, I'm super ADD. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so it's, it's sort of, you know, figuring out ways to use that to my benefit and to right. try. I, and I feel like, and I could, it. I could be wrong. I don't think Chris has ever came to me with like, I mean, it's, he has a lot of harebrained schemes, but in terms of story, I can't really think of one where he was like, hey, what about a dog in an old timey car? What do we think about that? Like, it's always like, he always like, I give Chris like every part of mine. I'm like, you know, what if I did? Whereas Chris kind of always comes with final ideas, but then there's like, he's already onto the next whatever idea. Uh-huh. If that makes any sense. Whereas I'm totally. like, And that's what a downside, Chris, like, because Abraham Lincoln, all but kicking. My, my poor, my poor literary agent, Charlie Olson at Inkwell, like I'll, mm. I'll send him emails and I'm like, Hey Charlie, what about this idea? Can you sell this? And he's like, yes, write it up. And I'm like, eh, what about this other thing? And he's like, I can't sell that. And I was like, well, that's the one I really want to work on. <laughs> that's um, the one I wrote up. <laughs> I, I already have six pages of it. Um, that, that's funny. Uh, Kyle, which... Kyle attributes this to a self, uh, a self-destructive or, or uh, not self-destructive necessarily, but a, a, a purposefully self-breaking career no, trajectory i don't know yeah yeah your fear of success no i don't think it's that i think it's uh i think that you have you don't have enough self-awareness to remember the last time you goofed up that's what i think it is <laughs> i feel that yeah. um which you know in, state of blissful ignorance <laughs> which project that you both have worked on has taught you the most about the work of cartooning and and i'll start with uh with kyle that we worked on together any, any any project you've individual like either one of you have worked on, whether it's one together or one on your own. I I don't know. <laughs> I, I I think it, it's always going to be your first book. Um, Interesting. Uh, yeah, that's what I think. It's like because like, that that that's your big learning curve. I, I think. Also, I don't I mean, know. There, there's there's other stuff that comes along as you. As I, here's you the do here's it. the thing. Before because here's the thing that's going to be the difference. Like Chris, right. Chris has kind of always been doing this, right? Sure. Well, that's fair uh, to say, right, Chris? I mean, you've always been sort of cartooning. 
right? I mean, I've always been, yeah, I've always been drawing. I, I only actively, I, I think of myself as a late starter, but I wasn't. I was yeah. just like, but like 25 is when I was like, I'm going to do comics. Um, and everybody else I knew had been like 22. And so I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, man, I was a uh, big, big was, uh, curve there. But I was 36, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think for me, it's like, you know, when I started to do it, I just thought like I worked in, as I, I worked in this comic shop that did uh, video rentals and used books and did pornography and baseball cards and used uh, records. And so I, I've always just consumed, I mean, I've always just consumed media, especially like as a big comic guy up until the nineties when the comics frankly were fucking bad. And I got out in like 96 to go pick up girls in bars mm-hmm. uh, or whatever here it was. Uh, so like when I decided I'm going to start, like I, I, I was like, I'm going to draw a comic because I was having children and I realized I'd never have free time anymore. The irony there is that now I only do this thing that I would never have free time for. So it's like, I'm going to finish the comic and I liked it. But when I did it, like I never thought anyone would see it, but I also thought like I just like this is how comics are made based on the bazillion comics I've seen, right? Um, and my things have always been like I said, like it should have good art and good story if it's not going to be really good at either. And sure. clarity is the most important thing, which I believe fully for sequential storytelling. Like I, I don't do anything tricky. I I don't have an interest in that. Like Chris loves experimenting with form and stuff like that, but I don't. I just want to tell a story like as cleanly as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, that's what I'm into. Like, that's what I like. I, I, I remember, uh, I was actually telling someone the story the other day is that I showed Sex Castle to a, a Hall of Famer, a, a big pro I sat next to at a show once. And he was like, oh, no splash pages? Like, splash pages. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm like, sir, we're not out here splash pages. We're storytelling, okay? Yeah. Wow. Um, oh, so I don't know. Like, I feel like it's just like, I, I don't think there's like tricks or I feel like I don't know how to answer that question. I, I know it's right and what's wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. I know. Well, I'm I just I'm just curious if there's any feeling that you've had on a project where like you you've developed the most in your sort of work or process understanding the. Medium. I mean, like Ricky Thunder. Like I, it's funny. Like I could read I could re, reread Ricky Thunder, which was the first thing I did. I did a web comic and then I did a Kickstarter, and uh, I could reread Ricky Thunder. Go, that's pretty good. That's a pretty good story. But I look at it, it's like this is terrible. But I was also doing like this weird format. Like I was doing like this weird web comic size eight by or five by White eight or whatever thing. it would be. Yeah. It's like, well, it's a goof. Um, I don't know. That's, I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I, I feel like I just, I'm just fucking good, man. I don't know what to sure. say. Like I, just, I was born good. I, I am good. <laughs> well, a, a lot of, I mean, a, I, I learned stuff with each book, but I think my, my first one is probably where I learned the most just because I, you know, it, it looks like character development, but I'm like two thirds of the book before I realized my pro, my protagonist was entirely passive. And I was like, Oh crap. Uh, he's got to start actively doing things. And so it yeah. becomes a character See, arc, but really I, it's just me having made a lousy protagonist for the first two thirds of the book. I, I think in that regard, like for me, like, uh, uh, my dad would whoop me when I was bad and like, I never made the same mistakes twice. So I'm always, sure. my thing is always like um, when I, like uh, when I was, so not so much now, cause now I'm like, I just want to be entertained. But when I was younger. Like I was very serious about good films, like good films yeah. and good books. But even then I'd be like, man, you got to watch the bad ones. Or you have to watch the bad ones. If you can't understand why this one's bad and this one's good. Right. Mm-hmm. And like that sort of critical analysis, like that's always been a part of my life. Like when I read comics and I see something bad, I'm like, don't do that. I, I don't want to look, I don't want to make that mistake in my book. So it's not like I've done something. I honestly, I've not had to do anything I didn't want to do through all my books. I have no regrets. If I have a regret is because an editor asked for fewer pages, uh-huh. um, which means I lost the storyline, which happened in assassination, which still came out great. So who cares? Um, or like just some, like, there's another one, but I can't even think it's just like, it's so little, but it's like, mm. I'm, 
I'm trying to make things that I like. And by doing so, I'm using the things that were good, right? Like, we only get better as storytellers just because our skills get stronger. But I don't feel like I learned anything. There's just like an evolution. I can't be like, you know what I learned on assassination? Well, I learned Eric Anderson's fucking dope. That's what I learned. <laughs> uh, I knew that. I knew that before. Like, that's that. That's that sure. news. Like, my, mine are not necessarily. In Ooh, you know what I learned? You you know what I learned, Chris, is that I called the book Assassin. I called the book Assassination around the same time that a movie called Assassination Nation was coming out, and I said, "There's no way anyone will confuse those things." Erica was like, "Maybe we shouldn't call it that." I'm like, "Nah, people are smart. Guess what? Guess what? People call that book all the time." Assassination Nation. Yep. Yeah. So okay, I guess I learned that lesson. I mean, you guys did objectively have the better title. Of the <laughs> Why two. would they put Nation on the end of it? Assassination Nation. Yeah. Dumb. It's dumb. I, I tend to learn the most stuff not actually from working, although, you know, I mean, you, you learn stuff from working, but but the right. big shifts for me have been external folks showing me or telling me how to do stuff. So so mm -hmm. uh, communication with my peers has been big. And the, mm -hmm. the biggest ones uh, for me have been um, uh, Brian Hurt and Matt Kent, who share a studio in St. Louis. Um, right. And we, we've driven to Heroes together and stayed at my parents for years uh, now and then, um, and and since Kyle came into my life, Kyle and one of the one of the biggest things that that has been really good for me with Kyle is mm -hmm. to recognize that commercial accessibility is not artistic uh, fulfillment. No, 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 you're not giving. No, no, you're not giving, you're not giving up. Yeah, you're not giving up artistic like value oh, yeah, to yeah. do something. Yeah, because because I will I will say well well. I'm going to do a, you know, Kyle, you know, I'll, I'll tell Kyle, Kyle, I'm going to do a, a drawing of, uh, I don't know, uh, good, bad and the ugly. And he's like, that's great. And I'm like, uh, I'm going to draw that guy that Tuco gets the gun from. And Kyle's like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, nobody's drawn that guy. Like, you know, the guy puts the soap in his mouth and everything. And, uh, and Kyle will point out, Chris, nobody wants that. Like the fact that you're doing something nobody else has done is not in itself value. Like the, the value is seeing how you interpret Clint Eastwood or Tuco right. or something like yeah, that. But, like, but also I also, but if you like it, someone else will like it too. And you sell more prints than I do. That's so true. I but it's like, but it's three people. It's like, yeah. and I already have those three people in my that's pocket. Right. Um, I think it's, I think uh, it's you know, more we're that already, you know, we're already a team, me and those other three guys <laughs> that are really into Tuco soap mouth, uh, gun dealing. <laughs> that makes sense. So um, it's, so, but I mean, but that, that extends to my, my book projects and things like that. Like I, I tend to get really specific and say, I want to do this type of thing. Uh -huh. And you know, that, that's been the case with our collaborations too. Listen, and here's Kyle the thing. points out, like, there's a reason that this thing is popular. More people will resonate with that. It's a thing. And okay. that is not in itself a, uh, a chastisement of the quality of that thing that it has more commercial accessibility. Yeah. So he's breaking me from my iconoclasm, which is, which is good. Uh -huh. Or it's it's arguably good. No, yeah, I, I you're talking to to a, a purveyor of pulp trash here, so I'm I'm never going <laughs> to argue the merits of of highbrow art. I'm not capable of it. Um, what when you're both you know penciling pages, I, I think at least you know there there is kind of a spectrum in in my mind of of artists where there are a lot of artists who put a lot of detail down in their pencils and then strip away that detail in their inks. And there's a lot of artists who, who get very rough in their pencils and sort of tighten up in the inks. Where I do you find you, you I'm tighten the up? I tighten up in inks. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Chris? I used to tighten up in inks. Now I, now I, uh, now I strip away in inks. Interesting. What was, what caused that change? Um, 
realizing that my pencils were too loose to have a solid foundational drawing upon which to build the inks yeah. as I started it, to get more representational and less uh, sh- uh, sort of generically cartoony. Here's the um, thing, though. Here's the answer to that, though, Chris, is that it was yeah. when you started doing a monthly book. That's when you started doing that. Is that you had to work oh, quicker so. and it was slowing you down to do heavy pencils. That's true, because I remember us talking about it. Or do heavy inks? I can't. No, it's, yeah. the, it's the opposite. Like now I do I, I do stripped down inks versus heavy pencils. Or not yeah. necessarily heavy pencils, but, uh, you know, I, the, the 90% of my time is pencils, 10% is inks. Got it. Interesting. You're, you're, it's, it's that back to that sort of planning thing, right? Where you're kind of setting yeah, the stage yeah. for yourself. And then when you're going you're, in you're, to finish. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, like penciling is you're, you're composing the song and inking is you're playing the song. Interesting. That's a real, I've never heard it put that way. That but means really I'm a jazz motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's cool. So, so I, I wonder then, Chris, does that, does that tie into your, uh, uh, I think, you know, incredible ability to draw cars and particularly to draw cars in action. Do you think that that also, <laughs> that development also happened around the same time that you were sort of changing that you process? Know, I, you know what I did? I think, I think that it's, it's, it, it's all about storytelling to me mm. is the answer to that. I, and I'm only doing this so I can uh, blow you up a little bit, Chris. Is that, is that, if you look at like, honestly, like, and like, I think of David Aja and Hawkeye. Yeah. Does a really good car chase. I couldn't think Mm -hmm. of another one. Uh, Chris, which creeps has uh, the truck doing the spin out in the parking lot? The pumpkin one. It has like a, like a 10 page truck, truck chase with a giant pumpkin. It's it's literally unbelievable. Right. Chris did this. um, It was the red Baron, a peanuts thing. You did the airplanes for the airplane fight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's literally unbelievable. And I think the thing is, it's two parts for comics. It's what, it's what was saying earlier. People want to do those things because like, they don't work because it's pacing. And pacing's hard. It's more panels. Mm-hmm. But it's like comics wants to do that Kirby single action. Three things happen. The action's over. You have to want – and I'm like this. When, when I did Sex Castle, when I did, Ricky, when I did Ricky Thunder, the only thing that I wrote was I choreographed the final wrestling match. That's the only thing that I was like, this needs to be planned because it's going to tell a story. It's very important, right? Right, right. And the thing is, like, you have to want to see that. Like, me and Chris, we don't like we don't like all the cuts. We just want that one camera. We want that one camera and to see a dude do something dope, right? Right. And that's gone. But in comics, like, that's still like if you want to do these things, that's kind of what you need. You and it's the thing is like, why is he so good at it? And the answer is, Chris is a really good comic storyteller. And that's like that's not hyperbole. That's not me like talking mm-hmm. shit about anyone else, but it's like, you have to want to put that effort in. And you also right. have to know outside of how to draw a car at different angles, when to change the angle, when to move the camera, where mm-hmm. to move the camera. And it's all, it's like, how can you be that sort of dynamic and still maintain clarity of events? Because that's mm-hmm. what makes action sequences good is knowing what's happening to me. And right. like, I listen, Kirby's, Kirby's my fucking boy. Like, mm-hmm. obviously anyone in comics who doesn't say Kirby's like, nah, like, who are you? Yeah. But it's like, I hate his action sequences, except for in like OMAC when he's actually sure. doing like moment to moment. Um, and that's why it's because Chris is a great storyteller. Sorry, Chris. I, I can't wait to hear how you follow up me blowing, oh, blowing um, smoke up your ass for 45 seconds. No, well, well, for cars, it was it was just having to learn how to do them for that particular sequence. Like mm-hmm. I, I sometimes will I, – I, I don't do this anymore. Now I just do it because the story tells it back uh, – Earlier on in, in my, you know, I 
career, I guess is the term, mm-hmm. artistic development, whatever. Um, I would purposefully put scenes in projects that I knew would be really hard to draw mm-hmm. so that I wouldn't avoid drawing something that was tough. Uh, right. You know, like uh, I realized I wasn't good at drawing trees. Like I drew Charlie Brown trees, um, you know, like a cloud on top of a stick. Right. Uh, and so I set one of my books entirely in the woods so that I would have to get good at drawing trees. Wow. Um, you know, I, I knew I wasn't good at drawing uh, cars, so I, I did a car chase in in one of the, the sequences. Actually, no, it was before that, the Trolls book. Uh, I wouldn't go to drawing cars, so I was like, I'm going to do a scene in which there are like 19 cars parked irregularly in a field, <laughs> and the characters are running through them. Um, wow. Because I knew that that would force me to have to get better at it. Um, right, right. And so nowadays I don't do that. Like I, I have no interest in bettering myself um, <laughs> uh, in that particular type of way. But, sure. uh, but I, I, I used to do that a lot just because, you know, yeah. uh, you, you have weaknesses and you don't ever want those weaknesses to slow you up when it comes to the types of stories that you're wanting to do. Right, right. That makes sense. Do you do you find when you're drawing cars in action? Because I find your cars particularly not only are they you know very sound technically, but I find them to be very dynamic, uh, and and when they are in motion, I think that's very well conveyed. Do you find yourself breaking certain perspective rules or things like that when drawing the cars so that you can sell that that action? Or how do you how do you find is is the best way to sort of convey that stuff? A little bit. The biggest thing for me is to not be afraid to lean into some of the uh, the formal media conventions of comics. Um, Mm. So things like I am a big, big fan of uh, anytime somebody's running, anytime a car is moving, things like that, you get dust coming off the road. You yeah. get uh, shadows underneath when something leaves the mm-hmm. ground, regardless sure. of what the light source is, like things like that. Like there are ways to showcase the uh, the biggest part of it for me is always demonstrate. And this is what I'm talking about with the horse legs. It's demonstrating the the contextual spatial relationship between the object that you're drawing and the environment. And that's where the dynamism comes in. The shot itself doesn't necessarily have to be a dynamic angle or something along those lines to convey that sense of dynamism because the relationship of the car to the pavement is going to create that dynamism where the way that the wheels are leaning the way that the, uh, you, the, you can see all this in issue two of uh, six side picks of <laughs> coming out July, 2021. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, but, but that, I mean that, that to me is sort of the, the biggest factor, you know, like if right. I, I think, heck, I've probably drawn a car shooting sweat beads before. Um, and I don't <laughs> think there's anything necessarily that, that renders that silly, in the context of the comics. Like right. I, I remember reading love and rockets when I was in college and, you know, and, and really being amazed by the fact that, um, you know, Jaime Hernandez was drawing these characters in a, you know, I mean, uh, you uh, arguably they're, they're cartoony or whatever, but sure. you know, they had realistic proportion. They had, you know, realistic environments. Um, and he relied real heavily on those comic shorthand, you know, like you'd have mm-hmm. a character with, um, those, you know, those lines coming out of their head cause they notice something, et cetera. Right, right. And I, that's always been really important to me to keep and include in the, in the comics. Um, and so also just, you know, knowing that the cars are going to behave in a way that cars 
really only behave with a lot of uh, stunt work. Like cars don't right. leave the ground. Um, yeah. My cars leave the ground all the time. They're always driving on hills. Mm. Everything is San Francisco. I don't care where you are. <laughs> like if I did a thing in Utah, it's San Francisco. You sure, know, sure. if I did a thing in Kansas, it's still got hills. Um, right. Because I, I want there to be that ability for the car to, you know, or it's going to be taking a lot of corners. So it's going to be slightly tilted off its axle sure. because, because that's how you convey that sense of movement is uh-huh. basically like dynamism in a, in a car chase or an airplane or whatever you're right. doing, you know, Star Wars speeder bike, whatever, yeah. um, is in the moments of like, it's where you would feel the G force if you were on there. It's, right. it's where the car is taking a corner. It's where the car is lifting off the ground. It's where the car is braking. You're seeing, and also, you know, trying to draw the characters in reaction to that. You see them leaning a certain way. You see mm-hmm. them uh, being pushed forward by the sense of brakes. You see them, their, their hair flying back, whatever. Right. Um, like it's all of those different elements combined that create this, this sense of movement. So it's Next sort of, question. It's, <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, it's, it's he, won't, interesting. he won't stop. He won't stop. He won't stop. No, I I know and here's the thing. Our, my, the audience of this show is into that, like into the process stuff. Oh, they no, love I'm that a bad guy. guy. Keep going. No, you're right. Yeah, look, no, <laughs> Chris, a balance. That's, all, that's literally all I have to say. Yeah. About Chris, Chris, tell him about how let word balloons work. I'll sit yeah. back here. All right? Oh, God. See? Oh, so many we opinions. Love- we love it all. But no, I mean, it, it's like taking the gesture drawing principles, like the contrapasso and sort of stuff like that and applying it to, mm-hmm. to you know, cars and other stuff where you're like taking, you know, really trying to, to push. It's also pose. what I said yeah. though, about being really just good. It is also that. Yeah. <laughs> being really good. Um, <laughs> so uh, you've both, you know, had had uh, a lot of work with with licensed properties, whether writing, drawing or both. What do you feel like is the biggest uh challenge in approaching those those properties and what do you find the most uh rewarding with that outside of of course just the paycheck and the, the guaranteed page rate and not not having to invest as much well i mean like i said we've not done anything we didn't want to do i right. mean i did recently sort of but i'm kind of interested in anyway that's neither here nor there um you know my thing i always the story i always tell is like i remember when i was a kid and i was reading the star wars marvel the marvel star wars comic and i remember when jackson the rabbit showed up who's a green mm-hmm. rabbit who's just a green ass rabbit. And I was like, this isn't star Wars anymore. And I, I fucked off and I haven't really liked star Wars since. I don't know if that's related or just because of the star Wars products that have been made since as a child. Uh, so my thing always is I want to make it be the thing that it is. Uh-huh. Um, and I like that challenge of recreating, but making it mine. And the other thing is like, I really love Evan Dorkin's Bill and Ted run. Uh-huh. And he clearly made someone else's thing his own. So I think there's really two ways to do it for Mars attacks for Mars attacks. Like, Mars Attacks is a card set. Like it wasn't, it's not a movie yeah. for them. It's not the movie. Tim, that's Tim Burton. We could mm-hmm. make our aliens say act, act, act because Tim Burton owns the act, acts fellas. <laughs> um, so like, we're clearly going off these cards, which are just a series of events. Uh-huh. And even those, if there's, it's a sequential story, like in a card set. So we really was like, well, what if we did a story that was adjacent to this? It's still just Mars Attacks. We were just yeah. like, how can we make a Mars Attack story that interests us? Shifting the lens. Yeah. And right. I think that's about, you know, for Rick and Morty, like, like for Rick and Morty, like I love Rick and Morty and it's, it was so popular. People are going to want more Rick and Morty. That's my responsibility. Uh-huh. And I think that's fun. I think it's, I think it's fun. I like the challenge. If it's a product you like, you know, it's, you're just playing in someone else's sandbox and you might, like I said, I just endeavor for it to be not Kyle Starks Rick and Morty because it wouldn't be that much different. Frankly, like right. they curse and it's like, here's a bombastic action and some heart to it. Like that's what right. I do anyway. Um, the thing I'm doing on now, it's like they're trying to, it's a, it's a licensed product for a product that doesn't exist. 
So the challenge is of how do I make something recreate what someone wants when they haven't made it yet, basically. Interesting. Um, but that's the first thing. Like I did, I did one issue with Invader Zim. Uh-huh. And when they came to me, when Oni came to me, this is right after Sex Castle got nominated for an Eisner. And they're like, hey, we'd love for you to do an issue of Invader Zim. And I said, I've never seen it before. I don't know anything about it. And they're like, uh-huh. that's what we want. <laughs> well, listen, listen up, listeners. It was not what they wanted. It's not what anybody wanted. But it, what I did was I watched, I flew home from Portland and I watched every episode of Invader Zim. And right. I wrote, I wrote what I felt was like another episode of Invader Zim. And, you know, they just didn't love it. And that's fine with me uh, I, sure. I was like i wish they would give me something i liked like rick and morty and they did and you now you know i'm the rick and morty boy i'm the rick and morty boy um but I think that, like issues. i said you know my thing is always my thing always says i i try to make the thing that i want to exist in the world so if it's a licensed property it's like oh i get to make more of that right uh sex castle is like i wish there was i wish there was an undiscovered 80s action movie it was in someone's vault and someone found it and they're like jesus christ we just found the secret Paul Verhaven, Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, or something uh-huh. and like, like that's what I wanted. I wanted to make a love letter to something I loved. So it's, it's just the same thing for licensed books. Right. I think that like, I was talking to a podcaster earlier and they're like, Oh, like big two stuff. And it's like, man, I, I'm very interested in exploring that world. But at 44, my, my adoration for those characters is not what it was when I was 18. Yeah. So it's like at 44, I would like to do a character driven story, about one of the few characters that I like, which means they were underused. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know like Teeny and Donnie and Matt, those guys are stoked about the X-Men, you know, like right. they're stoked about that. And it's like, that's what you want. That's the secret to doing a licensed book. I think mm-hmm. is that you have to be stoked about it. And the worst parts, which varies, uh, the Mars attacks people were awesome. They let, they outside of the no ACAC thing, and I think I made a harem joke, a couple <laughs> harem jokes they didn't love. They, uh, they didn't mind the harem jokes. I didn't want the harem jokes. I was the one who was like, hey, can we take out the harem jokes? Because then uh, I know, but I, I think they agreed with you, though. Audience. I think they They're agreed with you. They're still in there. You didn't take them out. Good for me. <laughs> uh, but like, for, so Dynamite, Dynamite was great. Uh-huh. I, I'm always, uh, I, uh, so, so far as that goes, this is a, a side. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. No, I was I'm just saying like, something in my head. Like when when I first started on Rick and Morty, no one knew what it was. Like no mm-hmm. one, uh, I did New York Comic Con on my second issue out, and there was three people dressed like Rick and Morty. Three. Wow. And uh, I remember telling my wife, "Is like maybe this was a mistake," but it's like I loved it, so I'm having fun, right? They right. let me do whatever I want. But once it blew up, suddenly like corporate was very involved, right? They were so involved, they made us take out characters that they created in the cartoon show. We could no longer say phrases in the TV show and stuff like that. Is super frustrating yeah. because, at, because I'm trying to make more of your thing and like, you won't even let me do your things is buck wild. Wow. Um, yeah. That that's the, the hardest part for me is um, l- dealing with the licensor. Sometimes it's really easy. Like dynamite. It was a dream. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because tops was a dream to work with. But also I feel like Kevin uh, Kettner, who was our editor over there, was like the licensor whisperer as well. Like I feel like Maybe. he was really good about uh, explaining why certain things were being done certain I ways. I hope that's true. Like that. Kevin, I think Kevin Gender he's at the very top of the editors I worked with. He he was great. Uh-huh. Um, but I think but but I've I've he worked on no licensed things. He gave no notes. So, <laughs> um, uh, but great logistical support, mm-hmm. and that's that's important too. Um, but the uh, but I think with with the license stuff, it's, it's hard for, for exactly the reason that Kyle said, like stuff that, you know, 
would be in service of the book, you're not able to do that for X, Y, Z. So like when I was, I was writing the pirates of the Caribbean thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and like they kept the, the fifth movie was being shot at the time, but they didn't have a script. And so (laughs) they kept changing the script. And then something I had in the comic would now be in, in the movie, which is not, not that they were reading the, it's just, you know, there's only so many things you could do with like supernatural pirate stuff. Um, And a limited amount of new things. Once you're on your fifth movie in a franchise, right? There's eight things. There's a real good chance they're going to be using some of them. Um, So an arc that I would be like partway through, they'd be like, Oh, now we can't use this element. And I'd have to re, you know, reshuffle or rethink. And that would be, and and that would be hard. And sometimes with the licensing stuff, it was Mm -hmm. really tricky because you'd have a, a situation where, and this is where it extends well beyond the comic thing. And it's going to like multiple departments. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, I, I'd had, I had a situation where I was told you can't use this element. And then I was like, okay, can I, how about I change it to this? And they're like, no, you have to stick to the original synopsis because valuable studio resources were spent approving that. Um, and so, so you, you sort of have those kind of situations that come right. up and it, it's, it's sometimes more of a headache. Sure. Corporations worth, suck. Like, That's what we say. Corporations suck. We know it. But, but Kyle, what you were saying about being really on fire for stuff, like I, I feel like the best stuff is not necessarily, I, I don't know. It's, it's kind of tricky. Like, I feel like the best work. Is I wonder you where have, you're going here. It's where you have an affection and an enthusiasm for the project, but you wish that it was better in these particular ways. And that, again, that's the, what I was talking about with the genre thing. That's what I want to do. If I want to do right. Star Wars, I'm like too much Jedi, what? too little space cowboys. This I'm is just, a space cowboy story. What I'm saying is that those uh, licensed books are better if you like them. I'm not saying you should. That's what you're saying is that you're like, I like the Muppets. What if they had more light, lightsabers? Sure, Chris. Yeah. Do your lightsabers Muppet comic. Get after it. You're like, you know what? The Muppets would be the Muppets would be great, but what if they had more mud fights? Yeah. <laughs> but like, if you don't if you don't like the Muppets yeah. at all, that's not going to be a good book because they're, no, no. And that's I what I'm saying. And, yeah, yeah. And 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 that's the thing is you just you have to have yeah. the enthusiasm. No, for it. I, mean, I think I think for yeah. licensed books, there's two ways to do it. There's the there's the Evan Dorkin. I didn't sure. even see the movies, but I'm gonna have fun with these characters, which is what you're saying. And I agree. <laughs> I agree with that. Like I because you are making it your own, but. And for, for he read the scripts so like Dorkin maintained the heart of what was important about that. That's why it's so good. Um, but the other right. is like is like is like I'm here at, in service to this property that I like. And what do I like? I like the property. I want to make more of that property. Right. I don't want to create my own version of it. And I'm saying there's mm-hmm. two ways to do it. I think they're both extremely valid. Um, right. But for me and for Rick and Morty, uh, is like I want to make more of it. And for Mars Attacks, it, it, like there's there's less. There's less of it in existence to influence us, right? Right. There's such there's so little for us to actually play with. It gave us more to have fun with it. Right. I and I do, I do think that's always interesting is the licensed properties that don't necessarily have an inherent narrative or like you know inherent like singular narrative attached to them, right? Like I think the Lego mm-hmm. Movie is a great example of this, or like yeah, I think yeah, Hot sure. Wheels is a certain property that like a lot that has a lot of exciting potential that could be terrible or amazing, just like Lego, mm-hmm. just like I mean even. You know, I think the emoji movie could have been amazing, right? Mm-hmm. Was it? Probably not. I didn't but see like, it. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I didn't see it either. I I've, I do work with people who worked on it, but, you know, I think that they would even um, admit that. Anyway, uh, but like, th- it's really interesting to take a property that inherently has no story attached and then find a narrative for it. And I think that's something interesting with Mars Attacks is to take the concept of Martians attacking 
and then go, hey, I can find a story here. Let me create a father-son dynamic that we're following through this you yeah, know, yeah. calamity. And that way you're invested in the story and you still get the Martians attacking that you want out of a Mars attack story. Yeah. Yeah, um, a bunch of assholes, a bunch of assholes with big brain heads. And it's, and it's <laughs> yeah. kind of, but it's kind of tricky because rarely are those the properties that are most readily exploited narratively. Right. Like when, when the, the Disney thing came up, like, uh, pirates was off the table because they were working on the fifth movie and they didn't have stuff locked in. Mm-hmm. But basically I was given sort of, free catalog of the other Disney properties. And again, this goes back to Kyle's thing about me Just having for any sort one. of commercial thing. I was like, they were like, they were like, what uh, name some Disney properties that you want to do. And Hold I was on, like, pause, 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 pause. Take a moment. Disney said, what properties would you like to make a car- comic book out of? Think about your own in your head. Kyle go, Kyle's thinking, uh, uh, Robin hood, uh, that fucking sexy Fox does it for me. Uh, <laughs> is black culture in them? Cause I liked that yeah. one when I was little. Ooh, the fucking rescuers! Kyle Starks hit a home run with the rescuers. Chris, Chris goes. <laughs> the Adventures of Bullwinkle Griffin. What? It's a Roddy McDowell movie from the the early seventies. Carl uh, Malden's the bad guy. It's about a butler who goes out west. Um, anyway, that, that's one of them. Scarecrow <laughs> Romney Marsh. Daniel Boone. Uh, Wasn't Daniel Boone one of them? No, I didn't have Daniel Boone over there, although I, I, you know, I might have. Uh, they, they had the right, the narrative rights to Johnny Tremaine, which that's that's one where I'd want to change it. Because did you ever read Johnny Tremaine? No. It's I've, a, it's I've a had a lot of sex. I hated, <laughs> I hated Johnny Tremaine. It was one of those we had to read in school. It's a, a really, uh, my, at the time, I haven't reread it. At the time, it was about a boy who is uh, Paul Revere's apprentice, and he gets his hand injured in a silversmithing accident I read and that. now he can't he can't work the trigger and flintlock on the re- revolution so he just whines about not being able to be a part of it that's so right i think i, did I that. wanted to do th- to do that but uh-huh. change it to where the british come in looking for paul revere and they they uh they can't find him and they're like where's paul revere and he's like i'll never tell and so they dunk his hand into a vat of molten <laughs> silver and so now he has this and so he becomes the silver fist um and when the they, British start employing werewolves, he's the only one who can fight them because he punches yeah. them. Here's the thing. Good idea. Why do we have to set it fucking with fucking here? The British are coming, motherfucker. Why and, do that? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, but but all uh, basically every 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 property I wanted to do was was extremely commercially non-viable. Yeah, this right. dude couldn't um, even say like Darby O'Gill and the little people. He had to go deeper than that. <laughs> Jesus. Yep. Anyway, so um but Man. but uh I there was a reason I was going there, and now I've lost it. Um, oh well, so you had to do Pirates of the you couldn't do Pirates of the Caribbean. You asked for other things, and then oh, oh because because the thing is the 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 main reason is that you know Scarecrow Romney Marsh is great, and there's like uh, you know previous ones. That mm-hmm. one that one was a, a, a Disney movie of the week uh, right. based on a, a um, uh, Russell Thorndike novel, um, and it's basically it's combining all the things that I love. It's pirates. Episcopal priests and Zorro, uh-huh. um, and the Napoleonic Wars, and it just meshes them all together. So it's a mm. former, uh, a former pirate. Reese's Pieces cup going down so yummy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, re- a retired pirate becomes a uh, an Episcopal priest. It keeps his identity secret, but when press gangs start uh, going through his village and stuff, and like forcing people to go on boats to fight in the Napoleonic War, uh-huh. he dresses up like a scarecrow and starts causing mischief for everybody, and it is awesome. And it would be so much fun to to do that. And actually, the uh, the editor was really on board with that, uh-huh. um, and had a had an artist in mind that he'd already uh, played with it, doing stuff in Disney Adventures. 
Um, but there was just no way. And then then pirates came out uh, or then them pirates became part of the licensable thing. And they're like, right. oh, well, that's where the money is. We'll do pirates. Um, and it's all it's almost always where where's the money? Let's do this. Right. And if it's a where is the money situation, then there's almost always a locked in mythology with it that you don't mm. necessarily get to expand on. So it's real infrequent that you have something like Pirates of the Caribbean movie, Lego movie, things like that, where right. it's just sort of whole cloth and you get to come in and do whatever you want with it. Totally, Mars yeah. Attacks was a lot of fun in that we got to do that. Right. What's, sorry for going on to no, pitch ideas. What a terrible subject for a podcast. I'm sorry. I, Kyle. No, I think that's, that's Kyle doesn't want to do fun. a podcast with me anymore after this. <laughs> that's not um, true. I just, I, my thing is like, I, I told him before, like Chris will, will go off for a while unless you reel him in a little bit. Sure. I sure, say sure. that as someone who never shuts up. Like that's saying something. <laughs> um, so let's talk about the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton coming out in uh, July yes. from Skybound and Image Comics. Um, comes out so, in June. Number two comes oh, June. out in July. I thought so that's July, the car issue. That's the okay. car issue. I said July earlier. That's number got two. It, got it. There pre-order we go. now. Okay. Go to your stores. We need those pre-orders. Pre-order now. We get in your stores. Get submit. Give the the paper form. Whatever your store wants. Yeah. Uh, and help the stores come back. You know, come back bigger than our setback. Whatever it is. Um, Man, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Diamond's gone. Um, anyway, uh, so Skybound. Thank you. I really. I this is the mm. first episode I'm recording post Marvel mm. leaving Diamond. Oh my God, what an incredible thing! I'm not gonna. You know, you guys don't have to talk shit we'll, on Diamond. We'll see where it goes. It's gonna be interesting. See where it goes. Yeah. Um, I just like that comics could maybe be in general stores again. Um, uh, so Skybound is, I think, notorious or famous for for taking quite a long time to gestate and develop their books. Um, you know, they often will have. Is that true? Because I me. complain about this a lot. I think it is true. Maybe I've I've talked to a lot of Skybound people. I know some some of the people over at Skybound, and and I mean Kirkman was on our first episode. Like they they talk all the time with everyone who seems to do a Skybound book. It's like we had six issues in the can. We had twelve issues in the can. Oh had, no, know, that's not true for that's no. That's no? not true for well, us, though. We, we would have six issues in the can if I had finished the issues. Maybe, but I think... I think that's, all, all, that's all me, Kyle. But, so, like, for Assassination, <laughs> that uh, wasn't that wasn't true. Interesting. Um, now, so Image Comics, you have to have three issues done before. You have to. Yeah, yeah. Um, but with Assassination, I'm just, like, it was pretty quick. It was one of those things where it, 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 seems, it seemed to me mm-hmm. it took a little bit longer than... And I, I mean, just a little bit longer for them to announce it. This took a, a little bit longer too, but I would say uh, there was a pandemic. Right. Um, when I felt like they would have announced it, because when do you think I, the end of like what, October, I would have guessed probably would have been the time to do it, Chris, don't you think? I don't know. I, I never second guess publisher decisions until after I see how they have failed. Oh, fair enough. Okay. I, I felt like maybe it was something that they they could have announced. Uh-huh. Uh, like at, but no, I don't, I, it's maybe, a, no, this is right. It, it's coming out a little bit later than, after the announcement, but that's, that's the fucking market. Like you have to give three months to three months also. Right. So like, I mean, Chris is, Chris is wrapping up issue four. Now we're still making the book. So for them to announce them, it's going to be on three months. Theoretically, when issue one comes out, Chris will be done. Hey. But at that point you're getting ready to do the trade because the trade's going to come out in seven right. to eight months after that. So right. I, I, I think they've done pretty good. I will say it for me on the creative end, it's, it takes a long time for me to get notes back. And right. that has been true. Interesting. Uh, is it true on is true especially on six sidekicks, uh, which I wrote in 2019. Oh basically. wow! Isn't that right? Because I, I got paid in February of last year, and I think I kind of turned them in all at once, basically. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, 
Interesting. And for the one I'm doing a new series for them now, and like I said, it's been it's been three months, man. I've written two issues because I keep waiting to hear back. But we're sure. also there's other stuff like there's not an artist on hand, whereas with those books we had artists, so we're ready to go. We know what the team yeah. is. We came in. Everyone's sympathetic. You know, we're, we're all on the same page. Chris and I, Eric and I, we're going. So I don't think that's true. But man, it does it does seem in terms of before it gets to the artist that it's like a lot of waiting, a lot more yeah. waiting than I would like because. My whole thing is like I, I want to be in the moment of the enthusiasm, right? Um, but I don't think I haven't really had that problem. Of course, like how many books does Skybound really have to even use as comparison anyway? I know? guess yeah, I guess I'm I'm just going off of like uh, I've mm-hmm. talked to John before about certain stuff, and it does seem like what you're talking about is before the artist gets involved takes you know a long gestating period. But even like you know Daniel Warren Johnson talked about how like Murder Falcon was mostly done by the time it came out, and and Extremity was you- was also. You know what you have to account for that though. Is, you know, Daniel, I'm sure, is a lot like Chris and I, and like we're just go to work. Right. Like right. you go to, if you're going to work, then shit just gets done. That and makes the sense. thing is I found I, I mean, I oh I've I've been really lucky to only really have worked mostly with really professional people, but I've had uh-huh. small issues where I work with people where it's like, hey, the deadline's the deadline's X. Um, and they're not done. Like they're like they're like saying the dog ate my fucking homework. Right. And I think like that's a lot of comics too. Like they have to deal with a lot of people who aren't professional. Right. Uh, even if we are professional comic creators, and I could point out who that is with Skybound, I don't know if there's anybody. I I know all those guys, mm-hmm. but I also feel like I feel like like you know, Image is like we're not doing anything until we get three issues. I feel like Skybound's not in a hurry. Right. I I I've heard rumors that they have like mostly completed books like just sitting there, and they've been sitting there for a long time. I don't know that, um, but I'm sure the reason why is because they're only almost completed. I think other publishers can't afford to do that. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's probably what you get when you have um, a first look deal at Amazon and then a backup first look deal at Sony. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and like, look, I hey, uh, I appreciate it when other industries pump more money into the comics industry, I guess. Yeah, is, is all I'll say about I, that. I honestly really love it because you see that in book publishing a whole lot, but you yeah. rarely see it in comics. And I think it's to comics detriment. I mean, there's there's some potential negative sides with it, like especially mm-hmm. if you were a new creator, it can be really frustrating to have finished a project or be close to finish a project and not be able to share that with your peers or other prospective employers and showcase what it is that you're capable of doing mm-hmm. until after your style has already grown and developed by the time it comes out. Right. Um, but that's really, I think the only downside, like other than that, you know, uh, for the publisher to determine uh, not based on their immediate financial got to yeah, pay the bills. Yeah, I agree right. with that. Yeah, right. but rather what is going to be best for the market. Like I think yeah. that's fantastic to be in a position to do that. Yeah, totally, a hundred percent. So you've talked about uh, you know this book being you know somewhat inspired by or like being kind of a mix of the you know like Knives Out and, and What's Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. I'm curious for both of you, like those movies, you know, came out roughly around the same time in my not a coincidence. I don't think. <laughs> sure, I think yeah, we yeah. saw them both together. Probably we did see them both together. What were your you thoughts go. on those two movies? Right, like tell me, <laughs> tell me about kind of the feelings and just general well, vibe coming I, out. Well, listen, I don't. We we both enjoyed those movies, but you know, right. so uh, for different. Re- I mean, we, for different reasons, but you know, afterwards, when Chris Chris suggested this idea, he's like, it, it was uh, the six sidekicks of Captain Karate, which is a terrible name, and no one can tell me otherwise. <laughs> but the thing was we were talking like we were talking about doing like what if like this we sort of went through this character through like old television so right. you had a western you had a whole black and white detective you had like for me i was like we're going to do land of the lost and land of the or maybe not land of the giants maybe lost in space to sort of like do these iconic old shows that he went through but he was just like the worst piece of shit right and and skybound and i think we agree correctly is there like no one will no one will preach 
the readers won't really appreciate these references, even though I think they're literally that's who's buying comics are men who are excited about lost in lost in space, you know? Um, so they're like, can you move it to the eighties? It's like, sure. Why not? It doesn't matter. So it's more so in the eighties, but it's the same thing. But that very much came from, I think once upon a time in Hollywood, that of them sort of going through his career. Right. It was really them on this, these Hollywood sets. Like that shit was fun. Yeah. I mean, we were thinking what would be, what would be fun to do? And I was like, and so originally when we were thinking, well, there'll be car chases and stunt fights and things like that. We were, we were planning on setting it in the, in the seventies and having that tie in with some of the seventies car chase stuff. And the, the birth of Kung Fu movies was going to be a big part of it because some of his character or, uh, cause he was a martial arts guy, right. but was over the hill for the start of this burgeoning genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so that was going to be a factor. And, uh, the, yeah. the, 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 rise of exploitation films was going to like, there were a lot of things that we were really looking forward to doing with it that were rooted very heavily in the time period. And then when they, when, when they came back and were like, you know, uh, can you make it the, the, the flashbacks, eighties, nineties, uh, Kyle was like, yeah. And I was like, what Kyle, that that's the whole negative. And he's like, no, it's not like the story's about the characters. Yeah. Like this because is, you, second... you get excited. Yeah. Cause I get excited about the trappings and yeah. Kyle gets excited about the heart. Because the thing was like, we were like, this is the setting is really interesting, but the story is going to be this murder mystery right. where all these sidekicks are trying to, uh, trying to solve this mystery of someone no one likes, which is great. Um, and for that, it doesn't matter what, and that's the knives that to me is like, well, they're going to be a bunch of charming dummies. They're, right. they're going to be just like these uh, these characters who suffered some form of trauma by having to work in relation to this terrible, awful man. Yeah. And they sort of all form this sort of unit eventually. It's like, that's the Knives Out. It's like, it's like, it's, it's, the, Knives Out is like, it's not a great mystery, but it's like, these characters are all really likable and they don't really even do anything. And it's like, well, right. that's what I want to do. Like, that's what interests me is I, I, you know, assassination was a mystery. I don't know, like, why I want to do mysteries for a while. And they're not right. even good mysteries. I think this one's a much better mystery we, we get for so many arguments about the degree of quality of the mystery itself and like how <laughs> how how much does it need to be structured like a mystery versus structured like but no, we're doing something okay. different. But it's I a, know, but you're 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 structuring it like a noir mystery and I want to structure it like a who like yours is like a series of you know uh, facts present yeah. themselves over the course of the thing until you yes. eventually arrive at the conclusion. I'm like I'm like no, I want to I want to Ellery Queen this stuff like let, let's make this basically Encyclopedia <laughs> Brown with fights. And you're like, no. And so we, we'd have arguments about how to handle the mystery. Because you have to have a progression. You have to string it out over six issues, man. You got to get paid for all six issues. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but that was it. It's like, you know, we went like that. But it's like, I'm not saying like that's, you know, like I said earlier with the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. But like that's kind of, it, for us, like we came with this idea. I can't think of very many uh, action comedy mysteries. Right. Uh, and I felt like we were doing something unique, which was fun. And trying to make it, Interesting, like we had a format where basically an, another character would be added sort of each issue. Right. So like you don't meet it. Like It's not like you're running around with six characters like it's the Justice League because any one of those kids, they're adults, could have murdered him. Like that's part of it. Right. Right. There's automatically six, sub, six, uh, what's the word? Suspects. Suspects. Six. Jesus Christ, this idiot. Six, six suspects. <laughs> as soon as you open the book. Right. Right. And like, that's fun. It, it, like it's a fun book, man. I'm but the thing is, like, it's like the the best way to sell something is to summarize it in a way that people recognize the parts. It's right. an action. It's a, it's an action comedy mystery about traumatized children finding a family and solving a crime against immense odds. In this case, you know, 
a stuntman wore. Right. Um, of course, as you do. And now, now let me as phrase it because this is this is the thing. Uh, they're not children anymore. Which every time I pitch something to Kyle, every time I, I bring him a story idea, Kyle responds. He's like, "Are these kids? <laughs> yeah, are these get, kids in this book? Don't he put hates kids, in, kids it. in books so much." Um, and he gets so mad anytime I make uh, revolve a story around kids. Sure, That's sure. because there's always a kid in there. No one wants to read about kids. People kids read more about, about kids. Uh, kids don't have no money. <laughs> kids, kids don't have kids don't have a penny. The, right. the, I think I do think the Ninja Turtles have something to say about that. Well, their parents have money, but guess what? Yeah. At this point, their parents they love that fucking cartoon. My wife is uh, just turned forty, and she loves those movies. She yeah. doesn't like any other nerd shit, but she'll be like, uh, "Turtles movies pretty good." Ninja Turtles like, okay. are amazing. Oh, okay, <laughs> um, um, but yeah. So I mean, yeah, that's what it is. But it's fun. It's fun. It's right. fun. It's 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 a bunch of likable dummies who all have troubles trying to find their place in the world while they solve sure. the murder of the shittiest man on earth. Right. And try to get killed by every stuntman in, in uh, Hollywood. So, so tell me about you. You know, you talked about initially this was set in the '70s, and there were certain inspirations, and then it you know ends up being set in a different time period. And you're using sort of a lot of these TV, you know, conventions mm-hmm. or genres or whatever as as trappings and settings in the story. What kind of TV shows are you pulling inspiration from for these these issues? For 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 what we did. Yeah, just for, uh, yeah for what you ended up with. So there's a there's sort of. Uh, a vague Western, which I think Chris decided was uh, uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, right? It, it, it's Walker-esque. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, called, it's called Martial Art. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's like Simon and Simon and, uh, yeah. Yeah. His I name's remember Art, the name, I assume. Mar- Martial Art. Yeah, his name's Art. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was, like, <laughs> that, was like a, that was like Trigger's breakthrough show. It was so popular. Yeah. Like, it's so popular he got basically like a lifetime contract, which is part of Incredible. the problem. Yeah. Uh, there's, do you remember the name of the Knight Rider show? Oh, sidecar, sidecar, and the sidecar is a uh, is Knight Rider basically, but it's called yeah. Skippy. It's Skippy the car, and one of the characters was the voice for Skippy, and people will only call him Skippy because they love that, like they won't recognize him as an autonomous person. He's just oh Skippy, and we had we had fun. But he's like he's like, why is that? Like what what uh, we were trying to figure out what his role was, and I was like, oh oh, it's this kid, and his brain's in the car, and he's like an adorable kid. <laughs> robot face and i was like i hate that so much it's basically it. it's if it. kyle hate it like i'll come up with ideas and if kyle hates him enough he'll make them part of the show yeah because it's funny uh there's a it. there's a star trek that's uh like a space oh. adventure called sea boat 3030 space boat you called space it sea boat. boat in the script and then you were like wait why did i call it sea yeah. boat? space <laughs> space boat 3030 yeah, i thought sea boat was great i was ready to do some undersea stuff and he was like no no it's no space, space boat it's a space boat space boat's yeah. great i like that a lot uh <laughs> i think sea boat would have been better because that's funny see the martial art what was the name of the police show it's just like blue, confidential blue oh. or something right yeah, uh precinct blues precinct, precinct blues, blues or something, something dumb that's, but that's great. the most that's modern one good. And that's our uh, that's our, our mid two thousands uh, procedural. Sure, when he's aging and he's got the Tom Selleck mustache yeah, or whatever. He's not, like. he's not fight, yeah, he's not fighting anymore. He's just yeah. like being and uh, and uh, the, our personal favorite uh, Frankenstein and Frankenstein, which is Miami Vice but with Frankenstein's. <laughs> but it's an early two thousands prestige show. Sure. Yeah, yeah, HBO. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's very it, it's 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 basically like. If Miami Vice starred Frankenstein's and was written by David Milch, like that's that's kind of our <laughs> nailed it. Uh, yeah, it's 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 mammoth Frankenstein. Yeah. Incredible. And throughout, throughout the show, everyone's like, "Man, Frankenstein, Frankenstein was so good," but you don't get to see it. <laughs> they never mention anything about it till the end. It's till like issue five, I think. Issue four, I can't get yeah. Um, yeah. 
But that one was a, that one, the, the problem with that that one was a, a pitch that I, I had a period where I was I was like yeah. I'm going to come up with a, a story uh, a story pitch every day and law of averages means eventually one of them is going to be good <laughs> um, and Incorrect. none of them were uh, but Frankenstein and Frankenstein was one of those and I was yeah. like I was like the Doctor and the Monster are dethawed and solve crimes um, so good. And, uh, and, I, and I, it's, forgot, it's, I forgot that was yours. I hope I don't ever take credit for that because I forgot. Like, <laughs> I was like, I'm putting that in there, Chris. It's, it's terrible. It's, and I love it. it. It's funny as a terrible thing. It's not a good idea. Like, like mm. you, you took something that I had that was Uh-oh. an idea that was meant to be good that was really bad and figured out a way to frame it into which its badness would be an asset. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. That makes sense. So yeah, that's yeah. yeah. So that's a that's the five shows. So it's basically like Miami Vice, Star Trek, Knight Rider, Incredible, Walker, Texas Ranger, and just what. That's a nice range. What was, uh, yeah, just like some your generic sort of procedural, police procedural, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, which which issue are you each individually most excited for the readers to get in their hands? Well, you know, three. You think three? Three's pretty good. I, I think I think three's where it really picks up. I think oh. I think that the, the introduction of that particular character is what I I think is where the is is where a lot of the heart is. I may be wrong. I, I will say that the issue with doing a mystery or anything that requires like a lot of setup, like a mystery, like, is that the first issue, I think the first issue is great. I think it's funny and I think it's charming and it does everything it's supposed to do, but it does, it's, it's a lot of exposition to set There's up a mystery, a right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I think halfway through issue two, I think it's so funny. It, I mean, I know for a fact, like issue five is going to be huge and glorious. Right. Um. So it's, I, I don't know, man, I think I, you know, it's funny, like, we've been talking about how I do endings, because the way I do endings for, like, everything is, like, I just basically go to the character, something happens, it goes, this is what's going to be in the next issue, right? And Chris is like, that's a terrible way to do it. Um, but I think for a mystery, it works really good. But it's kind of like, because he's like, well, you're not trying to sell that next, that next issue. And I'm like, I, I, look, I can only give them this good issue and hope that this good issue will want to make them read the uh-huh. next issue, which will be better. And then they'll definitely want to read the third issue. Gosh, and- we argued a lot on last panels. Wow. Yeah, that's probably our biggest source of of back and forth uh, on postscript. Uh, things are how do we how do we handle the last panel? Because yeah, because we we have very different views as to what it needs to be. I guess. Sure. Yeah, the thing is, I'm coming around to to your line of thinking, and it's ruined me creatively because now I've lost <laughs> like like I I've had a way that I've done things, and now I can't do it that way. But my the, my thing has always been is that for a series, it's like for me, it's if you buy just issue one of a Kyle Starks miniseries, uh-huh. you're getting nothing. Right. Like I'm telling a full story and that full story will be broken into six chapters. And I will try to do it in a way like this is very, in terms of writing, like issue, issue one is set up issue two is it introduces Skippy, Skippy's mm-hmm. backstory. What does Skippy add to the team? And it's like, that's how I do each issue. Right. Right. It's each issue is like broken into a chapter. That's kind of a character highlights sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, as I wrote it, I'm like, this is Skippy's issue and this is uh, Richard Brannigan's issue or blah, 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 whomever. Right. Um, and all this leads to eventually solving the or solving the crime or whatever happens. Maybe they don't solve it. They solve it. Shut up. Um, <laughs> uh, but it's like to me, like, it's like, man, if you like the first issue at all, like you should. It's it's for me, it's a six issue. It's a story that's broken into six. Like, don't right. like get all of them, man. Like, I'm not trying to sell like all this. Like, don't just buy one. You will know. You probably think it's only OK. You'll be like, that's funny. That's good. But if you read the whole thing, like there's this arc of these characters, like and how they come together. And it's funny. Like every, it only gets funnier. And the stuff that Chris gets to do with form, like there's a car chase in issue two. Issue five is uh, he does the margins in four. This cool marginal fights amongst a bunch of other things. 
Uh, like there's cool stuff that's happening at all of them. Uh, but for me, it's like, how do you end the issue? And Chris is like, it's got to, it's got to set up the next issue. It's got to, people want to be like, what's going to happen next? And I'm like, right. I'm telling them what's happening next. I'm saying, do you want what happens next? Or do you not want what happens next? But you, uh, yeah, the, the difference is you were telling them what's going to happen, what's going to, to, to be the subject of the next issue versus yeah. asking them a question that they want to know the answer to. I know, but I'm saying mine is easier and it makes more sense. <laughs> now, next, next issue, a rhino flies a biplane. Do you want to see it or no? <laughs> That's how I tell stories. Now, do you guys, uh, it, when you're getting into these these arguments, right, these, these arguments about last panels or whatever, would you go to John Moisen, your editor, to be sort of, you know, the, the intermediary not. at all? Or Never. just hash it out yourselves? No, because listen, here's here's the thing. Again, I can't what say if, it up. What if your editor sides with the other guy? Like it's never worth no, it. No, that's not why. <laughs> here's you no. Know, here's the deal with is that I respect Chris's grasp of storytelling, mm-hmm. and Chris respects my grasp of storytelling, and we don't do things the same way, uh, obviously. Right. Uh, and so it's all a matter of who who makes the most sense the longest. Or who just can't stand it anymore, <laughs> and that's it's how like I get excited. But it's like, like a healthy marriage, whoever sure. whoever cares the most and can make a good point wins. Yeah, it's a specific thing. You can't care about everything equally. Right. Yeah. Uh, so there's always going to be gives or takes. Uh, so, sometimes you have to say you're sorry when you're not wrong. You know. Sure. That's what it is. <laughs> um, okay. Well, as, as we start to wrap up here, uh, I. I I am interested that both of you are are Patreon creators. Um, yeah, you know, you both you both maintain that sort of like audience of a monthly subscription model, and and I'm curious. This is larger than mine. <laughs> hey, no one's comparing <laughs> sizes here. Look, I will. Uh, but but I'm curious, what's something that uh, both of you, being pretty far into like you know doing stuff on Patreon, what's something that you wish that you had known when you first started that you've learned along the way? I know Chris's answer. He wished that he would have listened to me earlier. And not made it into a store and made it more into a, a service. That's it's, the truth. No, no I, I still I still stand by my, my subscription model. Um, no, my my thing is that I wish that I and I, I actually did this previously with with uh, social media. I wish that I had maintained a website slash blog in addition to the mm-hmm. other. Oh, things. yeah, because you lost all your um, pictures. Well, because because Google image search is a I like, you know, like Kyle said, or like I was saying. I'm the, like nobody else is drawing the guy that uh, yeah. Tuco steals a gun from and puts a bar of soap in his mouth. So the three people that are going to Google image search that guy uh, would find me and then become lifetime customers slash potential friends. Right. Um, and uh, a lot of people that I know came, you know, just stumbled onto work that I did because it was subject matter that interested them. And then in, in investigating that further found that I drew other subject matter that interested them and eventually right. created that um, back and forth relationship where I'm producing work that they like and they're giving right. me money for said work. But um, you also charged more so you didn't have to do 5,000 commissions. That's well, yeah, I did. I did. I did. I did bump my prices up because I was, I had more than I could handle. I still have more than I can handle because I was like, Chris, I it has blog, to be, but... I know you want to make everyone happy, Chris. It's got to be worth your time because he's like he's like we're in December. He's like he's like I'm almost done with August's commissions, and you can you can hear like the sadness. I'm I, maybe one day I'll get to September. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's a lesson learned. Like that, I mean, like I think that's like the it is. Like, 
Because like at one point I was like, you know what, Chris is Chris is making. He's doing these commissions every month. He's making some money. I'm. But here's. But, but here's the difference. I, I couldn't. Yeah. But when I started, my drawing style was different, and mm. part of this is doing the Patreon things changed my drawing style. Um, just the, the, the sheer volume of them, mm. but in initial, because so many of them were likeness and I found that I had yeah. a better grasp at likeness, the closer to sort of traditional representational drawing that I did. And so mm. as I sort of shifted towards that, it made me slower. And so if you look back at my early Patreon commissions, they're a lot looser, mm. a whole as lot they should looser. Be. Uh, and, and so part of the, the upcharge was I about doubled my prices in this because they were taking me more than twice as long. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I don't remember the question, so I can't answer. No, it. you're good. Yeah, it was just uh, what, what do you wish you'd known when you started? Google search algorithm, uh, Google image search algorithms don't extend to Patreon. They do not. Yeah, I wish I wish I knew how to get more. Pe- I wish I knew how to get more people in. That's what I wish I knew. Um, sure, I, I'm sure. very pleased with my like it, it pays like. I, whenever there's a new signee up, I always say, like, I'm not exaggerating. It's not hyperbole. Without my Patreon backers, like, it's a huge part of being able to cover my bills. That's right. the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I started doing sticker. I started, so I do a sticker club, right? You know that. Yep. You know that, obviously. Where I send out two very dope stickers every month. Yep. They're $5 tier or higher. Or you go to my merch store, which is kylestarks.com merch, and you can sign up for $5. It's $5 flat. And the reason why I did that was because I wanted to start not dragging Rick and like so many Rick and Morty books. I was like, if I had these stickers, I can sell stickers and they would sort of serve the same, but then no conventions happen. So right. I changed it. It's like, well, I'll just make stickers or whatever I want rather than things I think I could sell at shows. But that was the thing is I originally thought I, I would, the stickers would just be kind of like a throw in. Right. Um, yeah. Because, but like Chris, to me, Chris's Patreon is very much, it's very much like a store to me. And he, I know he disagrees, but it's not so much like, like when you go to Chris's Patreon, you're getting how many updates a week, Chris, two, one yeah, for sure. It, it varies, minimum, but yeah, probably two. Minimum one because he, if if anything, he's gonna he's gonna be like today is National Vinaigrette Day, and here's Thomas <laughs> J. Vinaigrette, the creator of Vinaigrette. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I don't, I'm not doing that. It's like, it's so for me, it's like you know, I I look at Patreon to me in the very sort of traditional Medici sense, which is like these are your patrons who want to support your work, right? Irregardless of anything. And my thing is like, well, I will make uh, many comics available and. Uh, you know, I'll hook up people at the higher levels and I'll try to, I'll try to post, but it's like, you know what, when I'm writing a book, there's nothing to post. That's just, there's not me going, let me send you a script of this thing. I have an NDA on, like you can't do it. Right. Um, so like I try to do Google hangs when I have commissions uh, yeah. to, to interact, but you know what? Not everyone does those. Sure. Uh, and I did the sticker club because I thought I, I'm, if I'm going to do it anyway, I might as well throw them in. But now it's very much became like a part of the site. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wish I, I wish I could figure out how to get more people, but the answer is probably do more work. And I'm not going to. Yeah. Well, and it's it's a trade-off. It's it's something that I, you know, learned in in the early days of this podcast. We had a Patreon and and I stopped doing it because I truly I was like, I actually don't have like the time and I, I have a day job and stuff. So like it's not worth it to me to gain the extra money to have to invest that extra time that yeah. it takes well, to you know, the, the thing is like for podcasts with like there's certain things like people who do YouTube show, comics is not great for it. This is not right. but there's no other but like if you if I was doing a podcast, if mm. I was doing a YouTube show, if I was doing a webcomic. If I was right. doing a webcomic, Patreon, like this to me is what Patreon is great for because what you yeah. can do with your podcast is is offer, literally, you get to see it two days before everybody else. Yeah. And and that exclusivity is like, people love exclusivity. And yeah. I think being able to do that with a web, you do with a webtoon, a video, YouTube, it's like, it's easy. It's it's like those things yeah. are, 
it's it's built for what do I need to do? Nothing. You guys just get to see it earlier. Yeah, you know that, that stuff is is definitely. A, I think at first we and and when my co-host was sort of you know available to to do more episodes, it was like oh we're both going to do monthly commissions and like send out sketch cards and like all this stuff. And very quickly it became oh neither of us yeah. have the time to actually yeah. do that. That's the same thing. Like I said, I was like man, I'll do for my twenty dollars commissioners. I'll do for my twenty dollars backers. I'll do a commission every month. I think I did it for like three months. It's like I just can't. Yeah. Um. I don't. It's like I can't. I don't care enough. Yeah. Um. I know like Michelle Fife does. I, I, we're tangenting. Sure, sure. But like Michelle Fife does a thing where if you're his twenty dollar backer, if you're twenty dollar backer in December, yeah, it has to be December. At the end of next year, he will get a full color like nine by twelve commission. Mm. And I'm like, that's the way to do it for me. Yeah. It's like I can draw something real good at one time. It's like do it every month. Like I, I just don't have the bandwidth. I don't have sure, the, sure, sure. the emotional bandwidth for it. Sure. I also well, don't. The other one, wait. Chris has like interesting things and he does yeah. interesting things. And like, what do I do? I sit at my desk mad all the time. <laughs> That's not interesting. No one wants to hear that. I can say, you know, both of you guys do have amazing Patreons. And I think uh, most of our listeners would find a lot of value in, in uh, checking both of them out. Yeah, so. check it out. very much, Jay. Um, but uh, uh, as we wrap up, obviously, I could ask a million more questions of both of you, but we'll save that for another time, another place. Uh, let the listeners know where they can find you. Give them, get them the plugs. Show them where to go. We'll start with He's Chris. He's waiting on me. Either or whoever. Uh, I'll, I'll go. Uh, so, so um, I'm probably most active on Twitter. My handle is Schweitzer Comics, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, hard for me to spell. So I'm sure it's impossible for y'all. It's S C H W E I Z E R Comics, um, and uh, on there, there's a link to my Patreon. Um, uh, I can't remember what my Patreon thing is. Probably also Schweitzer Comics. Probably. Um, uh, what a salesman. That, that, that that's that that's pretty much it. I have an Instagram. I, I don't update it as frequently as I probably ought. Um, I've had the same follower count for like two years, so uh, I don't know if it's showing up anywhere. Um, but yeah, uh, basically, I I post a lot of drawings. I post a lot of uh, drawings with accompanying this day in history essays. Um, if that's your bag. Uh, By the way, the Patreon and- username is uh, Chris Schweitzer. Thanks. Oh, I was, thank I was looking much. and I'm like, that's not right. Whatever he said. That's all I know. And and uh, and then you can find my books at your local bookseller or comic shop. Hell yeah. Uh, Kyle, what about you? Let's let's see where you're at. <sighs> Let me show you how this is done, young man. <laughs> uh, you can find me at almost every uh, social media, thekylestarks.com. Uh, I have a store that's kylestarks.com that sells my books and sells original art. My Patreon is also uh, Kyle Starks. But if oh. you go to the Kyle Starks at Twitter, you can find links to everything pretty much. So hell yeah, and and uh, both of your both of your social media stuff will be in the uh, show notes, so everyone can check those out as usual. Um, and the last question that I ask oh. every single guest oh, no. who appears on the show is, "Why do you love comics?" I'll start with Kyle. Man, you know what? I don't know if I can really answer that honestly. Um, I've my uncle's name is Tony Tony Starks. And uh, he's, he legit sells silver and golden age comics and has my entire life. Wow. Um, so we got into comics when I was very young and I've kind of always read comics. Uh, I don't know why I prefer, uh, the, I tell you, so I, I don't know why I, I like the media so much, but I can tell you this as a 44 year old man who's been making comics for professionally for four years, has been making them for seven years. Uh, I went to make a comic because I was having a child and I realized I never made a full comic. And I made a 180 page comic, which is stupid. And what I've learned is that I love making comic books. Um, last year was awful and I hated everything. 
And when I did Karate Prom, it was the happiest I've been in years. And it's just because I was making a comic book. I was just making a comic book, man. And that process brings me endless joy. And I don't, I don't know why. Um, I've, I've been like, people are like, hey, you should go write a script for Hollywood. I'm like, I don't know anything about Hollywood. I like making comic books. Why don't you take this comic book and give me money? And then you can do whatever you want with it. Um, I don't know why that is. And it's dumb. But it, I, I just love making comic books. And I think if you're going to make comics professionally, you had better, honestly. <laughs> Uh, but that's my answer. I don't know why I love the media so much. I, I mean, there's a lot to be said about how it combines so many other, like I was a fine, I, when I went to college, I was a fine art major and a creative writing minor. So it was like, that wasn't so I could make comic books. That's just, I couldn't make a decision. Um, that's my answer, man. I just love making them. That's my favorite thing about comics. My favorite thing about comics is making them for sure. How about you, Chris? I think, I think a, a big, a big chunk of comics people, it's that inability to decide on a particular discipline uh, and doing the one that, everybody that, that, that involves all of them. But, um, uh, from, you know, looking at it, uh, trying to look at it objectively, I think it's because I can wrap my head around comics in a way that wrapping my head around other forms of visual media or narrative media is really difficult. I can look at a comic and see how the marks were made, see how the, uh, you know, the, the, what, what decisions were made and how and why uh, in a way that, you know, th- there's too many technical complexities when it comes to film or music production or animation or things like that. I don't know how to get the Z focus right. Like, but I can, you know, I know how draw to draw a horse's line. foot. Yeah. That's so um, funny. And so, so that, that, that's a big part of it to me is that I, it's, it's, I can, I can wrap my head around it. And I, as a result of that, I enjoy looking, I enjoy reading comics, both, uh, as a, you know, just a general reading experience, but also because I can clinically analyze it in a way that I can't necessarily clinically analyze other media in all of its facets. Whereas other stuff I'm like, well, the story did this maybe, uh, and that's about the extent of my abilities. I don't like uh, the thing about if you went into any other media, you'd have to work with other people too. I don't want to do that. Yeah, don't want to do that. Like, yeah, this is just I, me and Chris. I barely want to work with Kyle. Yeah, that's uh, fair, fair, for sure. He's he's the only one. Um, uh, I I mean I I do work collaboratively with with some other folks, but nobody to the degree. Usually, it's. I think that's the thing, like about comics. It's kind of a go off and do my own thing. It's like you it. can really do it. All, like it's something that you you really can do all by yourself, even if you're not very good. Like anyone can make a comic. It's and anyone can make a film too. But it's like so for a comic, there's so much easier ways to just put it in front of somebody. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not saying like that's not what interests me. My like because I love drawing and I love storytelling. It's just like. It just everything goes together in a way that's just so pleasing to me as a process. Um, so it's like I couldn't imagine like being like, well, and then he wrote seven Hollywood scripts. It's like, really? I did. <gasps> oh, I don't there, know. There, uh, there, there's so many things. Like, uh, sort of what you were saying about I'm kind of a good, I'm a good writer. I'm a good artist. Like versus the thing. Like there, are, there are so many ways you can be a a really solid cartoonist and be competent at a lot of different disciplines that if you were to try any one of those disciplines, you'd probably suck. Yeah, so like, like, I'm not a great artist. I'm not a great writer. I'm not a great historian. I'm not a great actor. Uh, but I can do all those things mm-hmm. on the page and put them together in a way that, yeah. that the sum of their parts equals something greater than my individual abilities in any of those specific disciplines. And that's really exciting. Yeah. It's like you're making your own movie, but you're just using the papers. <laughs> I did it all. I did the. I even did the catering. <laughs> Kyle had a salami sandwich today. He was a happy director. 
Kyle Starks, Chris Schweitzer, thank you for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Thank you, Jason. Thank you once more to Kyle Starks and Chris Schweitzer for joining the show. You can follow Kyle at the Kyle Starks and Chris at Schweitzer Comics. Uh, thanks once more to Sean Rosner for the music that opens and closes and interstitiates the show. You can follow Sean on Instagram at Sean D. Rosner. Thanks once more to Garm for sponsoring the show. Sponsoring the show. Uh, and thank you all genuinely for listening. I again it's every like truly it feels like every week now I'm seeing people talking about the show on Twitter or Instagram or whatever and it brings the biggest fattest smile to my face it's pretty ugly uh, it's a very toothy smile uh, but it always shows up on my face anytime I see someone digging the show and and and, sh- and spreading the word about it um, it's so fucking cool and truly like I'm so glad that uh, that any of you out there are getting uh, as much out of these interviews as I am um, because it's truly a a learning experience that is uh, wonderful and enlightening and um, you know at least to me always amusing so I hope it uh, it's the same for you um, and again if you're loving the show please please rating review spread the word tell your friends you got cartoonist buddies out there you know online friends real person friends tell them about the show maybe they could gain something out of it and if you have any ideas for you know what you'd like to hear on the show please please let me know um at tmbc workshop or at jason halftones uh if that's uh if that's what you'd like to do if you'd like to let me know anything any burning uh desires you have for the show but truly that is all i have for this week uh so thank you once more for listening and get back to making comics i don't know freaking have fun bye That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>